Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Fan Fuel Motorsports Podcast. This is a podcast where fans fuel talk about motorsports. I'm Alex Harrington, and as always, I'm joined by Nathan Ball and Colton Cranmore. Tonight, we've got an action-packed lineup for you guys. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. I mean, previous weekend and then the upcoming weekend, one of the biggest races of the chase, probably the biggest wild card the playoffs has. Um, and we're going to have a couple guests on later. My dad and his best friend, Danny, are going to be on, and they're going to talk to you about a lot of wild stuff that they did uh, throughout their college and post-college years at Talladega. And it's it's going to be a fun ride. I, I think you guys will all be uh, very happy with that. But before then, Colton, you made a trip down to the Las Vegas Strip and went to go see some racing mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday. How was your trip to Vegas? Um, the trip to Vegas was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, we, got a, we walked the Strip on Friday night last week um saturday we just kind of hung out went to the xfinity race and then uh sunday we spent literally all day at the track i think we got there at like 9 30 a.m and um didn't leave until i don't know about an hour and a half after the race ended so i mean it was a lot of fun going down there we had neon garage passes so we got to go out under the stands um go through go walk up the top of the garages and down low and see through them if y'all have never been or seen to vegas um, they have a little fan zone kind of right in the center of the infield and there's windows that you could see the teams working on the cars and stuff and they can go up and look at all the haulers and, um, it was super cool experience. Um, I do want to figure out how to get VIP <laughs> next year though, and get down a little bit yeah. closer. Um, but I mean, that was, that was super cool. Um, all the pre-race stuff, like I've never actually gotten to see all the pre-race stuff from the grandstand perspective. Um, the only other race I went to, I was in the infield of Talladega. So we just kind of mosey to launch her over and sat down you know so um but i mean it was a ton of fun up until i mean about 50 laps into the cup race yeah so um you didn't go to the truck race because you guys went and had some fun so what did you guys wind up doing instead uh that's the night we walked the strip um so we parked at mandalay bay and then we walked all the way up to bellagio and then back um y'all are familiar with the strip Bellagio is about halfway up um it's right next to Caesars Palace um so we went through like uh Mandalay Bay Excalibur New York New York the Luxor um MGM uh, a couple other ones that I just can't remember right now but it was a lot of fun we got to walk up and see what all Vegas was about um all the showgirls and the the gambling and the drunk people (laughs) it was a lot of fun yeah I I don't know uh Probably Nathan's never been out there. He's a little bit young for that. I've um, been to Vegas three times. Of course, you have. I yeah, I stayed on the street. I, I I should know that. I've seen your pictures of stuff driving the exotic cars and stuff yeah. like that. I'm, I'm just, I guess like, I was at the Palazzo right last year. Oh, that's cool. So, so you know what it's all about. I mean, I haven't had the pleasure of going out there, um, but we did watch from home the truck race so what did you think about the i guess first race of the second round for them or was it the second race i didn't think it was that bad like it was okay um i didn't get to see the first like two-thirds of the race i saw the last third and i was kind of disappointed at the ending because like there was a one truck crash and they threw a caution when it could have been like a photo finish so right that's like the one thing i remember from that yeah, it was a good race. It was probably the best race of the weekend, uh, at least in my opinion. And um, 
as always, Trucks just did not disappoint. There was a bunch of uh, playoff implications with, with that big, massive wreck that happened uh, in turn one and two, and then Sheldon Creed just clamoring uh, Chandler Smith there. And that was probably one of the most eventful parts of the weekend. But on Saturday, you got to see a pretty decent Xfinity race, Colton. What did you think of what looked like turning into Talladega there in, in the midpoint of the race? Um, I thought the Xfinity race was the race of the weekend. Um, you could actually see the cars sliding around quite a bit. Um, there was a lot of passing going on, a lot of, uh, I mean, runs being built and runs lost. Um, it was, I mean, it was fantastic sitting in the stands. Um, of course, at a mile and a half, you can't always tell what's going on. So a lot of times I wasn't watching the front few cars. I was watching this battle further back in the pack. Um, but man, the crowd erupted when Josh Berry took the lead. Um, you knew exactly what was going on because you saw him chasing down for about 10, 15 laps. Um, so, I mean, that was awesome. It was really cool to see. Um, I didn't get to see a replay of that wreck in turn one. I guess everyone just kind of ran out of room um, and kind of wadded a few cars up. Um, so, I mean, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was It was very uh, interesting. I did not expect to see such a massive crash in an Xfinity race at a mile and a half. Um, but it wasn't the only uh, massive crash of the weekend. Like we said, there was a couple in, in the truck race, and then uh, we get to the cup race. I know that we all really don't have much to say about the cup race, but in regards to massive crashes, I mean, what did you see about the Joey Gase crash? Because you were there. Uh, nothing. Um, it was clear off in turn two. So, I mean, I looked up, and we all saw smoke, and fans were pointing, um, but you couldn't tell anything of what was going on. Uh, we had a terrible replay um being showed i'm sure that's the same one that was showed on tv um, you couldn't you couldn't see anything all we saw was smoke and then um you know kind of hung out for a little while and then uh, i think it was during the second stage caution um they actually came over the pa and said joey gase was being taken to the hospital to be further evaluated and so that was kind of the like, oh shit moment um and then from there on the next morning we all saw the pictures of the photo sequence that went up um so that was a hard hit i don't know if he lost his wheel and then ran it over yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, and it launched him into the fence. But I mean, you see, I was making jokes about him earlier that he was already five seconds behind the car in front of him, two laps into the race. So I didn't expect him to spin and hit the wall so damn hard. Yeah, that's something interesting. I mean, we've had conversations on here about Rick Ware, just like everyone else has. But something that this package puts into play, though, with the downforce and everything, you know, we saw it when we went to the 750 horsepower package uh, back in. Uh, what was it 2015 that we went to that package? We saw the corner speeds actually go up. So every time we go to a racetrack with more downforce and less horsepower, we're carrying more speeds through the corner, which makes these kinds of accidents worse on the cars. And you put someone in a death trap, which is basically what an RWR car is, you know, no shame to them, but that's pretty much what happened. I mean, the whole wheel hub assembly just came off with what I guess was no warning because they thought they had a loose wheel, but I mean, not a loose wheel hub. Um, yeah. I mean, when the when the tire popped off like that, he was probably still carrying a good momentum, like maybe 155 to 165 mile an hour, even though he was one of the slower cars on the track. So, I mean, when he backed her into the fence, that tire goes under or whatever, he basically turned himself into a ramp because the left rear at that point was gone. So his car just kind of, you know, backed its way up the fence. And, and I don't think we've seen a car that airborne, even – even looking back at Eric Amarola's wreck, I don't I don't think we've seen a car that airborne to where it, it really could have went into the fence in a while. 
uh, maybe since even uh, the 2015 crash at Daytona with Austin Dillon. It was it was pretty scary, especially like you said, after we saw the pictures Monday morning. So we're all hoping he's good. Uh, all I've seen is continuing evaluation. And I know, Nathan, you had said something about that in our group chat. Um, so uh, I guess you said it was better to hear that he was continuing evaluation than, you know, yeah. getting treatment. Like you so you want to explain PR a little speak. bit of that? If you look at PR speak, you know, usually when you, they're going to the hospital to be evaluated, it's, you know, they're not like in a hurry. It's more like, hey, you know, maybe he has a concussion, maybe he has something, maybe he wants to get x-rays, you know. If, you know, if he's going there for treatment or immediate treatment or he's being rushed to the hospital, like, okay, that's bad. Like, you notice when they took Ryan Newman to the hospital in 2020, they didn't say he was getting evaluated. They said he was getting treated for something. Right. And obviously treated the slang for, like, you know, he's not conscious. So, I mean, like I said, it was weird. Um, I, I still wish there was a replay because the car probably didn't run over its own tire. Like, there was a clip I found couple days ago that showed a wreck where a car just ramped over its own tire and it looked almost the exact same. So Was it that, that indie car wreck that you showed? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's weird. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think he'll be all right, but I just, I just think it's weird because there's no replay and all you get is pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I can kind of excuse that because like we always make fun of them always being the last four cars on the track and, you know, all the other butts of the jokes that they become yeah. because of just how they run their team. I mean, I can see why there wouldn't be any footage of it. Because usually I mean, when I you're – you go ahead. I would put footage on them because I think eventually they're going to cost somebody a championship. Like Someone's going to run – they're going to run into the leader and take somebody out of a championship. I guarantee it's going to happen one day. You know, you don't know who it is. You don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to happen. So, you know, if I'm them, I'm putting the camera on their cars at all times. Yeah, well, I'm hoping this is not something that that, that happens. Um, that would be terrible. And maybe the next-gen car is what they're waiting on. We knew that was a thing with Spire Motorsports and, and all these other teams. Maybe they can compete more next year. Maybe not. It's going to be hard to bring a shitbox when the when the whole series has the same you know parts to pull out of. So yeah. um, maybe it'll get better. Their engine program is obviously going to be flat just like it is now. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, but moving on to the winner of the race, you know, Nathan, that's your and my favorite driver. So obviously we're a little bit biased there. Um, but how about Denny Hamlin um, coming yeah. out here and winning the first race of, of both rounds in the playoffs so far after having pretty much abysmal winning runs at races for the first 26 races? Um, you know, I don't think anything changed speed wise. I think it's just luck. You know, they always had the speed for the whole 26 races and now it's it, it finally went their way a couple times. Um, he said even then that they probably should have won every race in the first round, not just not just the Darlington, not just the Vegas, because they had the fastest car at Richmond. Bad pit stops put them eight seconds back. They had a second-place car at Bristol, cut a tire for, like, just pure dumb luck. You know, they finished ninth there when they probably could have won that. Then, it, um, then here they win, so... I don't know. Like, it doesn't surprise me. I think the only thing that's stopping them is stuff that they can't control. And that's why, you know, obviously that's the thing I hate the most about the format is that stuff that they can't control is going to cost them. But I mean, yeah, I mean, whatever the same vein, I mean, whatever good. luck doesn't happen, then they're good. Like that's the only thing stopping them at this point. Yeah. I mean, he was fast all night. He was 
definitely, if not the fastest car, he's one of them. Um, I mean, to Nate's point, I don't know that you can really call anyone a championship favorite, so to speak. Um, it's great to see Denny have all the speed that we've seen him have all year. He just hasn't had the luck to get into victory lane. Um, like Nate alluded to, all the things that kind of just little things that went wrong. Um, so now he, I think he's just kind of cashing in on it. Um, but, I mean, it's it's really hard for me to make any assumptions towards the championship run because yeah, here in another three weeks it's going to reset again. So who, right. who the so, hell knows what's going to happen in the future? Um, I'm just, I, yeah, I wasn't upset to see Denny win. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Yeah, so – I, I do have to ask this because I know this was your first mile and a half event. I know that the only other racetrack you've been to is Talladega. So in, in the words of Kyle Busch, this was your first real race. Sadly, it was with the 550 package. But something that I always find myself doing is trying to analyze runs at, at, at these bigger racetracks, trying to see if I can predict who's going to be where based on tires and stuff because obviously I'm not listening uh, to the radio or the TV chatter about what's going on. So I try to be that, you know, pit road guy or whatever, trying to figure out who's who's got the best strategy and stuff like that. Were you able to see any of that in the stands? Were you able to see guys uh, make and, and – or I guess set up and make passes? Were you able to see um, strategies and how they were going to uh, run out specifically with the Hendrick cars and the like? Um, I'm amazed that you thought there was passing. Because uh, there wasn't, <laughs> but oh, I, the strategies, yes, I could definitely see those playing out. I saw who was stretching the green flag or the, um, yeah, the green flag runs to kind of get a little bit more fuel mileage, maybe get a little bit of an edge. Um, but I mean, the first couple stages, everyone was just pitting at the same time within the same like three lap window, um, right. just because they know there's gonna be a caution here in the next few laps anyway. Um, it was really that second half of the race where I saw the strategies kind of unfold. Um, not so much. I mean, we didn't see any tire wear, so I didn't get to see any of that. Um, but it did almost look like Elliot was saving something at the end. Because, um, yeah. I mean, I kind of saw him driving through the pack. But as soon as he got in the second, he kind of turned something on. And you could visibly see him catching Hamlin at a pretty yeah, quick Yeah, that's move. exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, in the stands, too, I could see – I know enough and seen enough races that I could see the runs stall out as soon as a car gets to the to the back bumper of the guy in front of yeah, him. Yeah, right. That was disappointing because you're sitting there cheering because, you know, Blaney's got to run on someone – and then he stalls out and gets freight trained by four guys. It's like, what? Right. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I saw that too. I knew that Elliot was going to make a late charge. I know people in a group chat I was talking to, like, I know Hamlin's got a lot. I'm like, just wait. Just wait for Elliot. You know, he's got something. Because you look at the end of stage two or whatever stage it was where they were in the lap traffic, Hamlin almost, you know, his pace kind of hit a brick wall at the end, and Elliot just closed up to him the mm-hmm. second that Hamlin started to work through traffic. And, that the same thing happened in the last stage. Hamlin's car got some sort of tight condition. They mentioned on the radio for the last thirty or forty laps, and he was visibly slower than Elliott. But he ran the top for a couple corners, and that was enough to to hold yeah. him off. But you look at it; it's interesting. Like the only thing that I found fun was that the strategy mattered. Hamlin's the pit stops, all the execution mattered because they had to pit at the right time and they had to build a gap because Elliot's car was faster at the very, very end of the run. Yeah. Yeah. And one guy I feel bad for in the race was Tyler Reddick. Man, that dude was hauling. I even texted you guys. I was like, man, is yeah. TV talking about this? Because he was on a freaking rail and then stalled out behind the leader, couldn't make a pass. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it's Kansas 2020 all over again. It, it sucks because these tracks, I keep saying this, but people don't believe me, especially people on Twitter. 
these these tracks put on great races. Mile and a half put on great races. You just have to have the right package. And we haven't since, in my opinion, you know, 2015. Uh, we saw plenty of good races in the Gen 6 in 2013 and 2014. COT era was great. Gen 4 era was phenomenal. I, I don't know. I don't know what NASCAR is doing trying to get us in this bogged down, you know, arrow game that we're doing. It's probably going to carry over next season. I don't know that anyone likes that. It's just disappointing because you get a guy like Colton who's never been to a like I said earlier, quote unquote, real race, and he's going to bring new fans. And what are they going to say for, you know, three or four hours of, of guys just riding around and no passing? Like I went to the Coke 600 this year. You know, I appreciated parts of that race because I'm a race fan, but even I was literally snoozing in, in some of the lulls of that race because it was just, there was no variation in strategies. There was no passing. What little passing there was came from two guys. I saw Bubba Wallace and Daniel Suarez pass like four cars the whole night. And that yep. was because, you know, Daniel Suarez had that tire cut down and, and he couldn't do anything because he never got off the lead lap because there were no natural cautions so that he could get a wave around. It was just, it was pathetic. And, and this is what the 550 package does. So like if I brought new people to that race or Colton brought new people to this race, are they going to like it? And I saw a lot of people talking about how Bristol, how Richmond, and how Darlington were such good races. And even Daytona, if you go that far back, we had this great four-stretch run. Well, what if somebody started watching in that four-stretch run and then they watched Sunday night's race? Right. I, you know, are we making yeah. new fans this way? Because, yeah, the restarts were intense, but for how long? Three-quarters of a lap? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, killing any momentum that we have towards gaining new fans is exactly what that race did. Yeah, and um, speaking of making new fans, I want to put you guys on something that I've been a part of for the last few months, and that is the All-American ARCA Series. So we're going to welcome on the Season 1 champion, Johnny Eckert. He's driving of number 9. What do you, what's going on, Johnny? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Um, thanks for coming on. We just kind of wanted to, to do a little bit of a spotlight on the series. And since you were the champion, obviously, uh, coming in to this second season, trying to defend yourself, um, how how the league was kind of created and, and how long you've been a part of it, seeing as um, it's it's not really a new league, even though it's been rebranded. Yeah, I mean, uh, I first... I was a part of the the original league, but I wasn't very active in it um, before they they split off and a couple of a couple drivers started their own thing. Um, and from day one, because one of my buddies, uh, DJ Weeks, is is one of the admins there. He uh, he invite he got me involved pretty much from the beginning. Uh, he wanted me to to race and everything. And I really, you know, it's 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 a great little get up. It's quite a you know bunch of cool guys. You know that. that race every week and and have a fun time and you know after these races and stuff we have a we have quite a fun time running through everything that happened in the race and everything so uh yeah i've, I've pretty much been a part of it in you know, last <laughs> yeah and uh you pretty much dominated season one but you said something about us uh kind of talking after the race and stuff we had a practice race last night it was 20 laps 
And I think you, me, and like eight other guys just stayed on Discord for probably 30 minutes or longer after the race um, to just just kind of hang out. I mean, you were talking about your other ARCA series and truck series that you run in as well as um, as well as the race that we had and looking forward to the season. So it's a really fun group of guys to get on with. Uh, but we also are streaming um, with our friend James East uh, and Team Goon Squad every Friday at 8.30 uh, Eastern. And um, I don't know, uh, have you known James for a while? And uh, also, how do you feel going out there and dominating in front of live followers on uh, YouTube? Yeah. Well, I didn't know I didn't know James uh, before uh, this past season. Uh, I got to know him quite well through the interviews. I mean, you know, <laughs> talking to him every other week, it felt like, uh, you know, you, you start to, you know, you start to see exactly what kind of what kind of work he puts into the broadcast and stuff like that. He does a fantastic job. I mean, he, he does it all himself. And the the quality of the broadcast is just it's it's really unmatched so i you know i, I he i learned a lot uh i learned a lot about the broadcasting side watching what he did throughout all these races and stuff and then talking to him afterwards and then there was a couple times i think after a couple events where broadcast ended and we spoke a little bit and uh he you know he he talked he talked about how exciting a lot of these races were and uh, how a lot of the fans and a lot of people that were watching were super excited about things that were going on. And, you know, some people were rooting for me, some people were rooting for someone else and, and how exciting, you know, we seem to be putting on a show and how, how the fans were reacting to it. So it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I know that at the beginning of the season, there was an incredible turnout for Daytona and a lot of people were tuned in and, and watched what was going on. And it's kind of crazy that we're in a position, you know, it's a pretty new league and, you know, a bunch of guys who, you know, just started just started racing together for the first time. Having all these people tuning in to, to watch what we're doing is uh, it's kind of crazy, but it's 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 a blast. I mean, it, it adds a different level to the uh, to the i racing events. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and un unless we embarrass ourselves, usually we put on pretty good racing. Uh, I think James puts it best as we're known for a lot of green flag racing. And that's something that I'm not used to, and probably a lot of people aren't, especially when they're just running regular, you know, hosted iRacing events, because it seems to be caution fest. Um, so, I mean, that that alone in itself, if, if you want something to watch that's not, you know, I guess your normal real NASCAR stuff, we use the ARCA cars, as they call them. I think they are modeled off uh, some of the later nationwide cars before they went to their COT platform. Um, with a little bit reduced horsepower, but we have long green flag runs and you know, I'm more of a min pack driver. You're the guy out front. How, how is this green flag racing and strategy that, uh, that you're running up front, um, do you do based on, I guess your other leagues and stuff like that when you're racing non racing? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing with, uh, official racing is that the races generally are fairly short unless you're doing like an NIS race or one of the, those main events, um, one of those big events, the, the races are pretty short, so you don't really get to experience what a you know fuel, you know, going to the end of the site, uh, a pitch strategy, you know, going, you know, having all these people doing different things pitch strategy wise, going to you know the end of the tank or having to you know pit for tires and stuff. But uh, you know, in 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 all American, it's you know <laughs> there's there's always a strategy. You you always got to be thinking about the next step because these races go on. You know, they some of the races last season went up to two hours, almost to the two hour cap, and 
you know, it, it, there's a lot of racing that goes on throughout a race, and you know, if there's something, something might not be going on at the front of the race. At the front of the race, it might not be anything going on mid to back of the race. But there's always a battle somewhere, and it might not be obvious. And it's the same thing in NASCAR. You see, a lot of races seem boring, but then when you look at it from a strategy point of view, or from you know, okay, this guy's on new tires and he's coming. He's, he's going to start gaining in five laps on the guy in front of, you know, someone who came out, uh, came out of the pits later or something like that, um, or earlier rather, you know, you see the, the back and forth in, in, in races and someone who runs up front at the beginning of the race, isn't always the guy who's, you know, running up front at the end of races. So, you know, it's, it's very dynamic and, and, you know, it, it's, there's always something going on. So it's never, you know, a lot of people said that, you know, it looks easy and, and stuff like that, but it's not because, you know, you can, you can be the fastest car, but you need to have everything come together. You can't make mistakes. Pit road has to be perfect. You have to get the strategy right. And you have to be there when it matters, when it counts. And, you know, you, you might not be the guy up front every, every week, but if you're in and you might not be the fastest, but if you're in that position, when it counts, you, you have a chance. Yeah, and it's really easy to blow it. I can I can say that I was a uh, a really good shot to finish top three at Pocono, and then our second green flag stop, I just I came out of pits on cold tires and just looped it right there uh, out of turn one and just ruined my day. So that that's about that's about how I guess real real this series is. It's it's very cutthroat, but it's also extremely fun, and it's 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 rare to find a group of guys. Uh, in online racing, uh, from from at least my perspective, to, to that put so much into something that's not really, um, I guess, revered. You know, not like the Eco Cola iRacing series or anything like that. Uh, everybody out there tries their best to put on a good show for the people watching, and I think that's why a lot of people have respected that. I, I know that when when I've watched because I wasn't able to race, they were getting eighty to to one hundred and fifty viewers at some point. So. Um, I did want to thank you for coming on tonight, but I also wanted to say a little bit about a season preview. So I know last night we were talking, you said that you might not be the guy to go out there and win nine times this season. So um, are you going to be that dominant driver or who are, who are we looking at um, to be scared of? That's not the number 90 car next season. Well, let me start off by saying, you know, I had nine wins, but I was definitely not the guy that was fastest in most of these races. There were one or two races where I felt like that I should have absolutely won, but things on, you know, pitch strategy, critical moments, mid race that for me just kind of like, Oh, you know what? I have a chance and let me just execute from here to the end. I might not may, may have made a lot of mistakes early or may have been out of position. I mean, Rockingham goes in my mind comes up. I was, uh, I think I was running seventh the majority of the race and then one pit stop mid race. I beat my teammate off pit road. And from that moment on, it was just like straightforward. And I, I just, you know, it, it kind of built a little bit of confidence in me. And right at the end, again, I was in position and I was able to bring it home. But, you know, that was last season. There was a lot of people who knew to I racing, a lot of people who were, you know, just kind of try, trying to feel out their way, their place in the league and, and try to get used to running in this in a different environment. And a lot of people gained a lot of experience in the off season. But there's also a whole bunch of drivers that are new to to the league. Um, but you know, for me, I, I've of the people that were 
you know, around last uh, in season one, I found that, uh, you know, I find that James Silver's um, and the Cornerstone right. guys are going to be pretty quick, you know, every week. Uh, they they had speed last season, but a lot of races just seemed to just fall away towards the end. Um, he got a James got a late win last season USA with two weeks to go, which uh, I think was a huge boost to him. And then he came out and won the race, uh, the Clash uh, last week. And then uh, well, I, I mean, got something to say about that. He he <laughs> did he did just trash the leader straight over my hood, and I had a run on the outside <laughs> lane. I would have won that race had he not done that. Yeah, I I don't know how I got through that wreck, but I you it was, know, yeah, it was insane. It was definitely it was. a clash worthy. It was definitely a clash worthy wreck. Yeah. yeah, I mean the whole the whole field was gone by the time. I mean I don't think anybody came through without damage. Um, but yeah, but there's also a couple new new guys that I find you know uh, Tate Mountain Man Motorsports and then uh, twenty five elevens Elliot Henderson. Those two guys are going to be pretty quick every week, and you know we're hoping to. Oh, open our our outlaw racing outfit will be as quick as they were last season uh but you know you, you, you don't really know where you stack up until the racing gets going you know every every situation every league is different and you know you could race with the same people three days a week but when you get to that fourth day everything changes so uh yeah I, it's it's really wide open, but I, f- I feel that I'm I'm a bit of an I'm I'm at least going to take the underdog role a little bit, given the experience that some of the newer guys have. Uh, yeah, you know, in other leagues or in iRacing official. So I know Elliot Elliot ran uh, ran uh, Road to Pro the truck series. So uh, wow. he, he he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of experience, and you know I'm I'm sure he's going to be eager to use it and and you know try to bring home a couple dubs for his team. Yeah, and speaking about teams, uh, currently we have 14 different teams signed up. We have a four-car maximum, just like the Cup Series does. And if you are interested in hard-nosed racing, um, you're going to find it in All-American ARCA Series. Uh, Like I said earlier, we broadcast through Team Goon Squad and James East over there at Team Goon Squad every Friday night from tomorrow on for the next, I believe it's 14 races this season, at 8.30 Eastern, and it should be a lot of fun. Um, we're we're going to have a lot of guys. we got 62 drivers registered. That means if they show up each week, we're going to be sending home guys, and it will be the 43 fastest in qualifying. Um, now, I know you guys had a lot of those same issues last year where you had like 38 to 40 people show up at some races, but that was usually the max, even though you had more than 43 registered are you looking for full fields this year or are you thinking we'll see somewhere between that 35 to 38 range like we did last year no i think last season you know considering the league is quote unquote new i mean i think the first race was started about a month less than a month uh, after it was founded and the guys started to get serious about actually doing this so considering that they had races where you know, drivers were, you know, that you, you almost pushed that limit where people were going to be going home. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's really incredible. And I think the, the excitement around the league and the way that the, the, the culture and the atmosphere in the league is, I mean, it is a blast. These guys are just so much fun to be around. There's always someone, you know, everybody does something different. Everybody comes from a different background, it seems like. So there's a lot of guys that, you know, yesterday someone was uh, was doing a, a X-Plane or something like that. And 
you know, we were watching his stream for a bit, and then someone else was was playing Space Engineers or whatever, and you know, we we were just having a good time watching, talking, and everything. And, and I think a lot of the excitement around the league from that perspective is is you know kind of permeated out into the iRacing community a bit, and a lot of people wanted to get in in on it. So I think that there's going to be quite a few races that uh, the fields the fields are going to be pushing full. If not, you know, sending quite a few cars home. I think Daytona is going to be tomorrow. It's going to be crazy, but you never really know until you get into the race server. Yeah, and we are starting our season off at Daytona tomorrow night. Uh, we'll start our practice session at seven thirty, and we'll start racing at eight thirty. Um, I think I think James has the stream on a little bit before eight thirty, so that you guys can watch qualifying as well. And he does a fantastic job, like Johnny said earlier. Uh, we'll be going to classic tracks like uh, Talladega and uh, Homestead as well this season, uh, but we'll also be hitting up Nashville Super Speedway and a bunch of short tracks, and our road course is Sonoma this year. So it's a very, very uh, variable uh, schedule this season, and I'm looking forward to running the whole 14 races, seeing about getting Fan Fuel Motorsports up there uh, because we've got our new race uh, uh, lineup this year as well we've got a driver called uh terry freer and he is apparently a god at super speedway races so we'll find out tomorrow night at 8 30. uh before uh we uh have you hop off here johnny uh nathan colton did you have anything to ask about the league i think colton definitely had a question in the uh, in the chat if you want to elaborate on that yeah i did but i mean just from the the sounds of it we'd have to kind of further that more but uh wondering how much would it be to title sponsor the league? Because that's something I'm interested in. Shit, I, I won't go in there and race, but I'll sure shit put my put a <laughs> hat in the ring. Yeah, yeah, I, that's definitely a question for Casey. Uh, he's the uh, the lead over there. Uh, he does a lot of the day to day stuff when it comes to uh, getting you know, registrations through and and all that. So uh, yeah, he's more he's more the one to talk about uh, to talk about that side of it. But you know, I. I I feel like they would be pretty open to it. You know, it's it's a great time. It, a driver sponsor, whatever. Um, you know, there's always some some fun stuff going on, and they're you know, and it's a pretty new league too. So they're trying to develop their own style and and trying to figure out the best way for to promote themselves and and you know the people who support them. So, you know, it, I think uh, I think you could be a pretty good pretty good asset uh, asset to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Are. And. Uh... The Colton Grammar All American Arca League. Oh yeah, <laughs> hell yeah! yeah <laughs> it would fit you, the All American, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks, Johnny, for coming on. I did want to get you you on here, and Casey. He uh, he unfortunately couldn't make it, um, so that we could kind of get the word out about All American Arca. I love racing in the series. Uh, Fan Fuel Motorsports is a hundred percent behind you guys. You know, we we are running a team there with three drivers. Looking for a fourth, if anyone out there watching. Uh, has eye racing and is is good in an ARCA series because we want serious drivers, not goofs. Um, but is there any um, anything that you needed to plug before we uh, let you go, Johnny? Yeah, but I want to say first of all, I want to thank my thank you guys for having me. Uh, you know, oh, I love I love the league, and you know, any anything I can do to to help out the league and you know give some, shine a spotlight on on what they're doing. Uh, you know, I'm absolutely game for, and uh, I'm honored that I you know that Casey was. Uh, offered you know for me to do it um 
But uh, yeah, I want to thank my teammates, uh, specifically my season one teammates, uh, DJ Weeks, uh, David Westergreen, and Robert Hill Jr. for all the you know all they did last season and helped us to get a team championship in the league. And you know it, it's it's you know the, the league is very competitive, but it's very very hard to do it alone. Uh, so, you know, to do anything, to be successful, you really can't do it alone. So without them, yeah. couldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't be anything. Uh, but I, you know, also the, the admins, DJ, who's an admin, um, Kyle Hall, uh, Casey Carrington for all that they, you know, all that they do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to season two. I'm looking forward to getting it going and, and hoping, uh, hoping the racing is just as good in season two as it was in season one, if not better. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. We're going to have a, a new group of guys coming in, like you said. Um, apparently some uh, Road to Pro guys, which scares me a little bit about getting my first victory in the league. But, uh, yeah, um, it should be good. I do want to second a shout-out to Kyle Hall. He's the guy that got me into the series. Uh, he is a friend of my dad's in the real world. So that's how I got connected. That's how you got, um, you know, you got on here. And I, and I appreciate the league myself. I appreciate uh, – you know, you guys, I mean, you might not be an admin, but you might as well be uh, pretty much the voice for our league so far after just one season. So thanks for coming on, and I guess we'll see you tomorrow night at 830 on Team Good Squad. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, and enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks. All right. Well, um, that is – all-American ARCA Series driver and Season 1 champion Johnny Eckert, driver the number 90 uh, in that series for Outlaw Motorsports. Uh, I want to thank him again for coming on. Uh, go watch us on Team Goon Squad tomorrow night. We've got three drivers, myself in the number 85 Fan Fuel Motorsports car, and then we've got the number 26 of Shane Gentry and a Pepsi throwback scheme for our new driver in the 46. Uh, running a throwback to uh, Jeff Gordon in a chrome livery of one of his Pepsi 400 um, race cars, uh, Terry Freyer. So come join us on Team Boom Squad. We'll drop the link tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and we'll have a good time. Moving on with the rest of the show, uh, we'll welcome back my dad, uh, Chad Harrington, and his pretty much lifelong best friend, Danny Cummings. Welcome, guys. Hey. What's happening? <laughs> How come my camera ain't working? Uh, that I don't know. I don't know what's setting button on there. There's, there's, there it is. There he is. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're done doing good. A little, little <clears throat> tired after playing 18 holes a while ago, but I suck at the last, last oh, that three just, holes. That just sucks that you that you're tired after playing 18 holes, you know. Not yeah, yeah, on a well. Thursday, no less. He's out there playing golf while the rest of us are working. Yeah, but see, China's on holiday, so right now, while I'm doing this, I will actually be working for the next three to four hours, getting a head start on tomorrow's artwork and everything for what I do for work. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, there's trade-offs and everything, I guess. I took a break. Will handled everything, and then when I got back, I get to handle everything after that. See, I'm on salary. He punches the clock, so he's got to be here a certain time where I don't have to. I get the crazy hours. Yeah, I never well, got that. I never got that work at home during COVID. I had to work every day at work. <laughs> yeah, same here. Can't make water <laughs> from the house. <laughs> no, nope. yeah. yeah, you gotta have. Yeah, and you can't make him. You can't have your own uh, 
chemistry lab in the in the garage, you know. Wait, you well, could. It's called something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You well, could. You it might want, end you up being yeah. a little bit Breaking Bad, though. Yeah. <laughs> we could. Dad, yeah, Sarah asked me that one time. Dad, can you make that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the audience knows my dad, Chad. He's been on here two or three shows. He had his own show that we did with Nathan earlier in the, in the year, and then he was on uh, a little bit uh, after that um, when, when we had Colton come on as a co-host. But Danny Cummings, um, no one knows who you are, so let, let everybody know who exactly you are. I'm just another nobody. No, I'm a I'm a Chad. Uh, well, Chad and I we've been hanging out since high school. Uh, we've been going to races since high school. Uh, Talladega, it's been our our track we've been to. Uh, I guess about me, uh, I live in New Freedom, Pennsylvania, right now. I grew up in Lagrange, Georgia. Um, I'm a formulation chemist. I do antimicrobial uh formulations you know make stuff like the four nine cleaners and all the sanitizers that you know people use and to get rid of this covid thing uh, i've been doing that for about 26 years now uh, jake's listening on on the podcast he's we've we've converted him and benjamin my oldest son we've converted him into lifelong racing fans too yeah. uh so I'm sitting surrounded by all his uh, diecast right now. So, but that's that's yeah, me see in that. nutshell. Yeah, we see that. Oh, you, uh, no, you uh, Chase Elliott banner. Yeah, you see the Chase Elliott banner, but you don't. Hey, you should see the you should see the wall. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I've seen that on Jake's Instagram, and he he has got a quite of a collection. <laughs> oh heck, now Danny, you gonna make me unplug my laptop and take it into the race room? Yeah, that, this, oh, that, we'll, that, we'll have a whole we'll have a whole we should have a whole that. show on that race room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one of these days I'm up there. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do something like that. Uh, but I'm, yeah, thanks for yeah, joining us tonight. Yeah, when I'm back on happier happier circumstances, we'll have to we'll all get together and do that again. Yeah. Um, so, um, obviously, you've known my dad for a while. We wanted to get you guys on here for Talladega Week because this is a, it's Dega Week, man. This is Talladega. This is this is what tonight and this weekend is all about, super speedway racing and all that stuff. But, you know, like my dad, um, you're kind of a, a short track guy, too. And yeah. um, I think what we're, we're – we want to get into before we get into the Talladega stuff is you've moved a lot of places in the U.S. So you kind of can you kind of let us into the races you've seen outside of Talladega and Atlanta? Yeah, I, we lived in Minnesota. We did the we watched the arc. Was it Jake? Three years in a row, two years in a row, two years in a row. The Arca series at Elko Speedway in uh, Elko, Minnesota. That was that was that was some good. That was some really good racing. It was a three-eighth mile short track. Um, they really, they really put on a good show there. That the Arca series really had to kind of detune the cars to actually make the sh make a good show there. But the the racing was awesome. Uh, then Iowa Speedway uh, for the for the Xfinity series, uh, we did that two years in a row. 
um, when they turned that from being a, I think it kind of killed what killed Iowa's when they turned that tra- that race from a night race to a day race, a summer day race. I mean, it just kind of took the luster away from that a little bit. Uh, but the two years we were there, Brad, it was a Brad Kozlowski show. So, uh, watched Kenny Wallace's last race there. Uh, but yeah, that seven eighth mile track, it, it's a, it's a little bigger than Richmond and it, it, it's just as slick. So it put on some really good racing. Uh, now we're here in Pennsylvania. We're doing the dirt, we're doing the, the dirt tracks, uh, Williams Grove, Lincoln. We're watching the world outlaws, the, uh, the, uh, all-star sprints, uh, we're still trying to make it to Port Royal. Uh, I think we'll do that hopefully before the season's over. But we're doing the National Open this weekend for the World Outlaws. Kyle Larson's going to be there. So he's going to Paul Silva, 57. Uh, but we've been doing a lot of dirt track up here. And it, it's the dirt track up here, it's, it rivals the South. Man. It's cra- they're crazy. These guys, these guys in Pennsylvania are rabid rabid dirt track guys and they love i mean it's more sprint cars here it's more of the 358s and the 410s than than out than the late models and they do race the late models but everybody loves loves the sprints up here and you know first time with the williams grove had to get chad a t-shirt so yeah I've been, yeah that was awesome yeah well next time at williams grove get me a t-shirt Shit. all right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was, it by the time by the time he goes back, you might need a, net, a double X. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we're going this week. Well, we're going this weekend to Williams Grove the National Open. So. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, seventy-five thousand to win. So. Oh wow, that's a big purse. It's a bit. It's the bit. It's the third. It's the like their third crown jewel for uh, the World Outlaws. So. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, we went last year. It was a great race. The. Uh, so we're hopefully we'll see. Jake will take a ton of pictures. You know, Jake does a lot of photography now. He's got some good stuff. He's he's doing some good stuff with that. And we went to, I guess, off the short tracks. We've been to Pocono. We've been to. We went to Richmond this year. Richmond was was to me that, that was a really good track. A lot of good slip and slide in action. And it was a it was a good race to watch live. And TV just does not do NASCAR justice. I mean, to 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 zoom in on the leaders or zoom in on one car—that that's I think that's where they're losing fans. You get to the race and you can watch the race. The racing's great. You don't have to peel in on the leader every lap. You watch racing. So I mean, and that's I think the TV does a, a the TV doesn't do that a. a doesn't do it justice anymore because they're just trying to, to to talk their narrative and just kind of watch the leader and it's all restarts. So if they could just pan out a little bit and show more than two cars in a frame, I think people, you know, the average fan would like that a lot more. Yeah. I think that's something that the three of us can agree with. Uh, we talked about it on here. Um, I think question, uh, question, question had a Colton. A uh, Colton had a question. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we get on on to our main topic, um, which is going to be basically uh, you guys talking about your Talladega stories because you've got quite a few. All right. 
Um, not so much a question, but more of a comment. Like you mentioned the dirt stuff. I'm, I'm huge into the dirt stuff. I'd love to go out and see it. Um, I mean, I could, I could come up with a hundred questions right now. <laughs> um, but I'm super jealous because, uh, Pennsylvania speed weeks is something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go to the national open, um, things like that. Yeah. I mean, Williams Grove is among my top five tracks in all, uh, disciplines to watch and to go see. Um, so I was, I vote, I'm, Pretty COVID. damn jealous of you going to see it. Y'all send a picture or something. Uh, yeah, COVID, we went to COVID killed my shot at it. We were planning yeah. on doing it last year in 2020. So, hmm. I mean, yeah, we, if we do it, we just all need to do it. Me, you, yeah. Alex, we just all need to go do it at the same. I time. got, I got enough 2022, space in this house. 2023, let's put it on the books and go take care of it. I got yeah. enough space in the house. Got enough extra rooms, beds. Got two well, extra I might have rooms. To take you up. Yeah, yeah, I'm but not yeah, going to say no to that. We don't. I mean, we've been kind of. I haven't had the time like the COVID. We kind of picked and choose where we went. Uh, we've done. We usually do Lincoln, Williams Grove, but we're wanting to do the whole. I think if we get all ready together, we could do the whole speed weeks: Hagerstown, Port Royal, Baps. I mean, they just they circle around. I mean, it, they they usually double book. Uh, they'll double book Williams Grove, Lincoln. Port Royal, so, but yeah, and then when Kyle Larson was here, it was there. It was packed every night. They didn't care about COVID. They were just packing the track. They didn't. Yeah. They had. They would. They weren't. The the tracks didn't. They didn't care about the restrictions. We were. We just went, and it was great racing. And again, everything. Everything is the the speed weeks. It's fun to watch, and you actually. The actual ABC News here in Harrisburg, actually, every every Tuesday they do a every Tuesday night on the late news, they do a rundown of the week's dirt track action and what 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 happened and what's coming up, and then during speed weeks they have recaps every night. So I mean they do they they love it up here. They the news even follows it. Hell yeah! So. They follow it more than they follow NASCAR on the news. They they, they won't even say anything about NASCAR, but they'll they'll, they'll have a ten minute they have a ten minute uh, new sports uh, all they just it's all about the the dirt racing that week. So that's badass. Yeah. So we 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 all love racing. Um, I know we got to get Nathan on this dirt bandwagon. We talked about that before. One of these days we're going to get him to a dirt track. And one of these days I'm going to go to a world of outlaw sprint car series race. Those are two things that are on my bucket list right now. I've got to get Nathan to a NASCAR uh, dirt track. What did you say? You've been to one. When? Remember when I got my Sammy Swindell wing signed? No, I don't remember that. But you've been. Yeah, it doesn't count if I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah, Nate, we gotta get you to a dirt track. No, they run these. Yeah, he'll he'll respect that uh, that argument we had a couple weeks ago. Once he goes to one, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, it's hey, even, Nate, it's even, it's even what, fun you needle. just need to meet me in February. I'll take you to Volusia with me and let you meet a lot of good dog drivers. There we go, like Brandon Overton and Stuart Friesen and some of those, and it'll make you change your mind. Yeah. I oh, wouldn't say change her mind because I got a ton of respect for it. Oh, I'm just bare taste, but with a little dirt, dirt in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, All right. It's so, fun. Danny and Chad. 
Um, this has been this has been your guys's pilgrimage, pretty much, like you said, <laughs> since high school to go up to a Dega race. You moved to Minnesota for a couple of years, but when you came back to our neck of the woods, uh, you got me and Ben and Jake all on the trope, and I think we went to four four races together, maybe three. Um, the the I guess yeah. five of us. Yep. And uh, we've had fun. So how did that all begin? And, and you know, where did you guys meet? And how did you guys, you know, mesh with the NASCAR thing? Well, oh, shoot. I mean, as funny as it sounds, here we are. I'm a, I'm a sophomore. He, Danny's a senior. We're both in symphonic band, and we sit next to each other on the back row. And we started talking and everything else. Next thing you know, we're riding to school together. He stops by the house and picks me up. And we start talking about this, that, and the other. And before long, we find out that we love racing. And his dad and my dad are probably the two biggest Dale Earnhardt fans that's ever walked the face of the earth. Thus, at that point in time, next thing I know, he, Danny calls me and said, Hey, you want to go to Talladega with us? Dad got four tickets. And this was probably what the July '88 yeah. race that Terry Labonte won. won. Not Terry Labonte, but the that was in '89. But the July of '88 race was probably the first one we went to. And yes, yep. it was hot as all get out. But you had to get used to it. <laughs> and it? and. We, the bad part was they were always back straightaway tickets for the most part when they was given to him, Danny's dad for work, but it didn't matter. We had tickets and we were going and we got there so early. We got up there and sat down as high as we could from where people had marked their seats from the day before when they had tickets for the ARCA race the day before, because Xfinity and trucks never raced there back in the eighties. Yeah, and it was was just from then on. It's just we would go every year, sit on the back straight. Then we decided we that we would. What was it? Ninety, we were on the back straight. Ninety-one and ninety-two, we decided we changed up. We started yep. building the towers. We May of ninety-two. Yep. We, we, we watched. We watched the, that, and you were throwing. We were throwing chicken wings over the over the edge from or chicken leg bones and everything from the Kentucky fried chicken bucket bucket that we have over it on top of the uh, concession stand below. <laughs> but it was cool. That 92 race was, uh, you had a four car breakaway in the beginning <coughs> had Bill Elliott, Sterling Marlin, Dale Earnhardt and Davey Allison Allison. at the beginning. And, Danny's dad said something, and I said, uh-uh, we need a caution. Be daggum if caution didn't come out five laps later. I thought Danny's dad was going to whoop me and throw me over there with the chicken. Yeah, you're going to be picking up them chicken bones here in a minute. Yeah. That's right. I'd have looked like some of them chicken bones off. Yeah. And then you had 91, the rain race, and the, we were there for watching, watching them. You know, it was like a four-car just a, it was also it was almost like watching the tandem or the the two thousand tandem races when you had Earnhardt and Waltrip tandeming and you had Gant and Rick Mass tanteming there at the end and 
we were just it, it it looked like that they were just nose to tail trying to catch you know Earnhardt and Walter were trying to catch Gant, and it, it did it looked just like a, one of those two thousand one of those tandem races from the two thousands and it was, and then the wreck on it the was. back straight we all we almost got we almost got Kyle Petty's hood that day yes because it flew <laughs> up in the grandstands area on the grassy part now they got a fence to where you can't get on the grassy part and needless to say that race that danny's talking about was on monday yeah me and him skipped college and went back on monday because it was in may but what he forgot to tell you was the rain on sunday oh yeah (laughs) we were sitting in there and then you know they got this one gate and they got two big, huge grandstands. So you, you're filing in and trying to squeeze in two, in two people to get out as quickly as possible. Rain coming down as hard as it possibly could. We're in line. And Danny's dad said, the heck with this. And you got to go across this one little spot that had a culvert underneath it to get out. And he, st- he thought he was just going to step across the water and get his shoes dirty. And keep on going and he was gonna beat us well he stepped up into the puddle that ended up being a hole about this big this man turned around and looked at us said any one of y'all laugh y'all walking the hell home home and he meant everywhere and, and we were all dead <laughs> laughing as it was already i mean but he give us that cold stare wham we quit laughing and then we go I mean, it was it was crazy, but it was the funniest thing you ever seen. Because as soon as he went up to here, he turned around and pointed. <laughs> like, yep. Man, and unfortunately, then we he had to go, help him get out. Yeah, and unfortunately, he couldn't go back on Monday. And then it was, I don't know, you guys have been to Talladega enough, but back then it was all dirt. It was still all dirt, but done the back straight, and you saw pictures of in '91. If you ever look at the old races. There was enough rain that there was enough mud pits that people in Jeeps were just sinking them. I mean, up to the top. I mean, that's how much rain we got. It was, what, five, six inches of rain in like an hour? Yes. And it was terrible. And what was bad, they had the cars on the track. They were about to take the green flag. And then it just, it was just one minute it wasn't raining, the next minute it was just everything. <laughs> and then we took back. My father just bought a brand new S Blazer. We decided we were going to go mud riding in and around Talladega. We didn't, there wasn't a spot on that damn Blazer that didn't have mud. I mean, we cut, we covered it. I mean, we looked like we'd been to the we'd been to the crow hop. <laughs> <laughs> now, ninety one was that the year that a uh, mass yeah. pushed yeah. across the mm-hmm. line, and that was a race. Kind of this controversy about yeah. it because Mast wasn't on the lead lap. Well, you can't push anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he was on the lead lap or not. You can't push on. The, you couldn't push a car out of gas under that wasn't under power on the lead lap at all. That was it. He was. He was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was on. It was on. It, it didn't matter. You could push him all you wanted up to the to the white flag, but on the white flag lap, you couldn't push him. Well, he wasn't pushing him, but he was sure enough banging him. Yeah. He was off and on him <laughs> enough. So. And I think also on the end of that race, when Daryl Walter went to protest, and they told Daryl Walter, they said, "Hey, you know, uh, your spoilers low. You go pro. You want you really want to protest this?" 
Yeah. <laughs> that was the um was that the race where Kyle Petty broke his leg, maybe? Am I yep. remembering that right? Yeah, yeah that was yeah, the, that I remember was seeing the, videos of that. Yeah, that was the Ernie Irvin uh uh that was when he was a little bit out of control. Swerving Irvin. Yeah. 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 After that race, though, he he settled down. He became he became quite the restricted plate driver after that race. Something yep. something, something turned mm-hmm. in him, and so I think I think the drivers there before the next restricted plate race kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with him, and I but he he settled down. He you know he won the next what he ran he won the ninety three the ninety two Die Hard the ninety three Winston. So I mean he ran won the next two races so. Well, well, so he did pretty, he settled down pretty well. It didn't, it didn't hurt he had that Morgan McClure power either. Yeah. Not at all. They had that, uh, <laughs> that cross exhaust too. So the, yeah. the engine even sounded oh, different yes. at that era. I remember everyone uh, always talks about, I think those four races specifically when they were coming out with the X exhaust, the cross exhaust and how different it sounds sounded um did it sound visibly or audibly different from the track yes that actually didn't happen until sterling marlin Marlin. in 95 with the monte carlo but yes it was with morgan mcclure and yes it sounded completely different in the stands and i don't know if anybody watches this uh the you know the scene vault podcast but mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to Mr. McClure, his three things, and he will tell you that they actually had it to where they had that part built for them and had one-year exclusivity before they could sell it to anybody else, which was definitely dynamic. But the guy that was building the engines, uh, Runt Pentman, he did it all for uh, Ernie Irvin, too, so that only added to the power when Sterling started driving for him. I mean, the, the man behind the power right there was that guy, Runt Pittman, with the engines. And whether it didn't sound a little different back in 91, 92, 93, when Ernie was driving it, the show wasn't too many people that could keep up with it. No. no yeah. Um, go ahead, Danny. No, it's fine. I was just gonna say, like, Ernie, that that they had good cars. It was, it wound up. It was, I mean, almost in the '95. It almost that X pipe almost made it sound like that engine had a flat plane crank. Almost sounded like these flat plane crank GT500 Mustangs. Hmm, that'd be interesting. I, I wish I could have have seen some of the stuff that you guys saw on track, uh, but. I know personally, uh, knowing some of the stories from, from both of you guys, but this one I kind of heard from my dad a lot. And I wanted you, Danny, to kind of confirm whether or not this has happened and since the Statue of Limitations is out on it. Um, <laughs> apparently, the race wasn't only at the track when you guys went to Talladega. Apparently, you guys had had uh, tried to beat each other's times going to and from the racetrack. Is that true? Every year. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then try to beat our times getting out of the track too. How fast could we get out? How how could we manipulate traffic? How could we find different ways out? How fast could we get down I twenty, getting to the track to that east of Boga exit? Because way back then, 
it was, you know, we would try to get there early enough. You could, you could run almost, you could run a hundred, hundred plus down 20 and all the cops, all the cops are at the East Vogue exit. They're not going to stop you. There's nobody out there. Yeah. And back then we got there early enough that the, that would never back up until maybe about a half mile before you, not even a half mile before you got to get off the East Vogue exit. So it was just seeing just how you could get there. And then, so it was, oh, we ever, I think it was more the, the, the blazer and we did our, my Camaro a couple times. Your mom's Caprice. Mom's, oh, that Caprice, man. That Caprice was like Cadillac floating down, down the damn interstate with that. <laughs> and Joker had the coldest AC I'd ever been in. I mean, my nose and my ears felt like they had frost hanging off of them. You, you couldn't wait to get out of that car back. You, know, you were in a July race. You couldn't wait to get back in that thing. Yeah, so 431 changed when they did the four lane all the way through and took out the first part of the curvy roads, though. It wasn't as fun once they put that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first part of the curvy parts was the real, it's almost like the real technical part of an F1 track because you had to be on it to be hauling butt down through there. It, it almost like you did not want to have any cars coming from west, coming east, because you knew that you were hammered down east to west and you would be going across lines and clipping the grass on the other side, on the inside corners, back to the other and everything. But goodness gracious when they took that first part out it changed the whole dynamics of can we get there faster if you got there 15 minutes faster just because you wasn't going through those curves but it wasn't as fun yeah yeah and and to put it in perspective um coming from lagrange to go up there uh we always went the back roads um through rona up for the 31 like they're talking about and through the talladega national forest so it wasn't like especially until you got to i-20 uh you guys were were not going through some pretty tight curves and stuff so uh with with a little bit less safety standards from the cars from the 80s and 90s i don't know how and you we guys didn't, did we didn't it. wear seat we didn't wear seat belts back then either ah. <laughs> yeah we weren't required yeah we weren't required to wear our seat belts back then either so man <laughs> well i mean you guys like like I said, you did some crazy stuff off the track. We talked about the uh, mud incident with uh, Danny's dad. Um, you guys got to see races there, you know, from from '92, like you said, all the way. So you've seen multiple generations of cars and stuff. Yeah. But I kind of want to steer back into the Talladega racing aspect of it. Um, I mean, you know, what were some of your memories from going to these events, um, race specifically, that that stood out whether they were you know wrecks or good races or or whatever i mean when you think of talladega and you look back on all the races that you guys have been to which ones were some of your favorites uh and which ones were some where you were just you just walked out you know confused about a certain lap or a certain caution well the jimmy horton thing was the 93 was a was a wild wreck I look up, Chad looks up, Chad looks at me and goes, I think he just went out of the track. That was crazy. <laughs> I mean, then you would never think you'd never think a car was gonna go out of the track. You know, not there. Not there. And he he went out, we're like he's like Chad's like, he went out. I think he went out I was like, Yeah, yeah. And but it was cra that was one of the crazier things I've seen. Uh and Alex. 
before you follow where we sat in where Danny bought the tickets for us all to go, you know, me, you and his Jake and Ben, that's about where we saw Jimmy Horton take off over turn one wall. So if that yeah. gives you an indication of how far away it was and yet we seen him go over the wall, it's like and he disappeared. Yeah. That's Absolutely. where we were sitting when we saw it. So it, it was almost like watching a micro machine get thumped by a bumblebee and it's like he gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for those for those uh watching and are listening on, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts later, uh we usually sat uh when uh we went uh when Danny was still living down here, uh in the Lincoln Tower, which is basically the entrance of Pit Road. So the perspective yeah. he's talking about is is probably what uh, three quarters to a mile away from from turn one and turn two where 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 the car went out. That would probably yeah. And then I would say. And another wild one was you know kind of was when uh, I mean it wasn't a spectacular wreck but it was still it was right in front of us when uh, uh, Neil Bonnet hit the fence in ninety three. In that was ninety three. The thirty one yeah. car, right? It yeah, was. he was in the mom and pop's car. Because he went right up to the booth after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of one of those everybody kinda went, Oh boy. Hope he's oh you know, you he'd already had the one wreck and you'd always hope he was gonna be okay. And it wasn't like, you know, the safety of today and somebody got in a wreck like that against the fence, it was always, Oh, we hope he gets out. You know, not like, oh well, yeah, there he is. So, and it took what, that was July 93, and it was the, I think that was one of the hottest races we'd ever been to, and it took them, what, two, over two hours to, to fix that fence. Yeah, and both was, of us actually had sun poisoning and stayed out of summer school for about three days. I mean, we, it drained us so severely badly. It was incredible. The girls down in front didn't mind it too much. They were putting on a good show for those yeah, I mean that that definitely was a plus. <laughs> the teeny eeny bitty we itty yep. bitty teeny bikinis. Yep. Well, oh, I mean yeah. it's Talladega. You've all heard the rumors, so Oh I, yeah. I can, well, I can there's say some other things. That, there's some other things we can talk about Talladega that we saw, but I don't know if that's for this kind of pot I don't know how I don't know who what people listen to this podcast, so <laughs> Yeah, I mean Hey, I'm sure they've heard worse. One of the things about uh, Talladega is just how crazy the fans are. I mean, now we've got the boulevard. I'm not sure that did they really have boulevard, you know, parties and stuff like that uh, in the 90s and stuff before the peak of NASCAR. Uh, it was a little different because it was there was nothing for camping over on the. Yeah other side of the road from the racetrack between I-20 in there. Yeah, you know, all, that was, was that came later. Yeah. But most of the big time um, stuff actually did party was over behind turn one campgrounds and on the back straightaway campgrounds, campgrounds closest yeah. to the airport. I mean, it, it, it's it's almost 30 years gone from that that time um did you guys get into any of that stuff or were you guys just going straight up there and straight home as well, fast as we, you could uh we kind of i don't know 
we walked around it. We 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 took it in. How about that? We don't know if we partaked a lot of it, but we were around it. And there was a few times that we would stop at Talladega Short Track on the way back because yeah. I mean we we were more on the lines at that point to see as much racing as possible more than it was the craziness of some of those parties because you had to really be there until it got really dark and really late. And we never did stay there because we'd have to get back up for driving back and forth. We didn't stay there. So you got an hour and 15 minute ride every time. And then another, another good race that we, I don't know, Chad agrees with us, but the 92 IROC race. Best one yet. Best, best IROC race I ever seen. I mean, four five wide, wide out of turn four. I think it was five. <laughs> I mean, Davey Allison takes it low and just goes. To, he just had the had the draft, and it was it was one of those races that you just couldn't lead because everybody. It was just so much slingshot. I'm gonna give Smith TV a shout out for his YouTube channel. He actually has that race on his YouTube channel. Check it out. Yeah, and it, it's. It's an excellent, it's one of the best. I think it's even better. It's better than the Earnhardt, Earnhardt, IROC race at Michigan. Oh, wow. I would agree with that. Earnhardt, Earnhardt at Michigan probably falls second to that race. Yeah. I think that's one of the ones that, that people clamor about, at least in the Twitter world, because I think a couple of months ago we saw that uh, that eight or nine lap finish of that Michigan race uh, go viral. Uh, that was actually the first time I saw that race. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because IROC finished in, what, 2007? Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit later. Was it 2004? Yeah. Even just before that, it started to just become NASCAR 2.0. You got a lot of the open wheel guys out of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the dirt guys kind of fell out of it. So it was it was just a lot of NASCAR guys fighting the last yeah, couple of all- years. Yeah, it kind of got where the two when you got the cart and IRL did that, and then they came back, and then the then it's just the I think the dates just never meshed for those yeah. guys yeah. too. So yeah, which I mean that's something that we're kind of getting back with SRX, which is I think something that everybody else has. But I, I mean, yeah, I like that. I like that series this summer. That was a good. That was that. That was, and they knew exactly what they were doing. It wasn't. You know, it's entertainment, and they 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 did what they had to do, but it was good racing too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking about good races, I mean, you know, we focused on the '90s and stuff. Um, I know, I don't remember quite when you guys moved away from Georgia to go up to Minnesota, uh, but let's talk about some of the 2000s races. Even though that you know, I wasn't going to these races at this point. I don't know. I know my dad was in the pits for a couple of ones in the early 2000s. And Danny, I'm not yeah. sure if you were well, really, you were still here in Minnesota. Yeah, really the last one I really went to was the one Chad Chad and I went was Earnhardt's last finish in 2000. After that, I kind of I, I kind of had other things coming up and this and that. And it just never fell, fell right for me. And I moved to Minnesota in 07 uh, again. Uh, but, yeah, I think that lad, that watching that and Chad actually helped us and we had we had press passes that day so yeah we were in the pits taking i was taking pictures i actually got a lot of really good pictures and chad has a lot of really good pictures um 
met a lot of people, watched the Redskins game on Dale Jr.'s pit box. <laughs> That's such a Dale Jr. thing. Dale, yeah. Oh, my God. They were, they were radioing him the score of the Redskins game during the race. And then I thought on that last restart, I, I was packing up. I'm like, yeah, this, you know, it's going to be over. It's going to be probably Junior or, you know, Gordon or somebody winning. And then, you know, I'm, then, then you start watching Earnhardt coming. Start watching Earnhardt coming. And I went and jumped on the – they had just put in the, uh, a pedestrian walk uh, bridge. And I jumped up on that to, to watch and take pictures. And it was a sight to see. And, and if Chad never got those tickets, I'd never been where I was at. And it was it was great, even standing there to see Victory Lane. I think you even got in Victory Lane, didn't you, Chad? Yep, I was in Victory Lane for Earnhardt's last win. I got the million-dollar bucks. I know I handed Danny a fistful yep. of them, too. I brought them home and give them to some of the nice Earnhardt fans. And he made, I know he made sure his dad got one of them. And, but it, it was cool that I actually have pictures in Victory Lane from that one race. And... Granted, it probably in my top fives of all of them, but, you know, me and Danny's only been going since 88 together. I've been going to Talladega since 78. So I've seen some pretty awesome races by myself over there when my mom and dad used to take me too. So, um, but I've seen some good ones just by going by myself or in the presses, press pass stuff. I mean, it's to me, I've got to witness it from so many different points, back straightaway, front straightaway, tower, yeah, pitch, garage, you know, it, it it makes it hard to really find out which one of those races were your favorite. But I can go all the way back to, I've seen the cars in the late 70s before they downsized. They downsized. Then they went to the Gen 4, and then they went to the COT, and then they went to the Gen 6, and I've got to, I've got to see them all. So it's, it's really cool that I've been able to do that. But, you know, I was there for Davey Allison's first win after his daddy took down the fence in 87, and that was a four-hour fence delay. Yep. You know, that was real cool. You know, and I mean, I, I got to see Elliot make up a lap and a half in 85 in May. Yeah, we were there um, together, but not together. I was right, there you were on the front straightaway and I was on the back. Yeah, because... Um, but the thing was, you know, his car never sounded like everybody else. His car would come by, he was full throttle, but his car would come by and it was like a whisper. <laughs> everybody else was screaming. And come to find out later on in 85 they had bought up so many of the exact blocks that they needed to where the other four teams were having to use the alternate block because they couldn't get none of the blocks that the Elias were using in building motors from but wow. i mean one of my favorite races out of all time it was the tandem race that me and alex went to in april of what was it 11 that they had the eight wide finish you know Right. Yeah, I missed. I, I mean, those I mean that tandem racing was cool as all get out. I mean, the speed, the sheer speed you could see the cars have reminded me what I got to see before the restrictor plates got on there. It was, it was almost like deja vu for speed for me. But it, 
it had a whole different element the fact that you had to rely on somebody else to push you but that whole race was completely different and unique to its own and i still wish we had that but you know that ain't what all the other fans wanted so you know nascar does this and throws the rule book up in the air and changes everything to piss them off we know that yeah um but back then heck you know they could adjust their spoilers if the car was too loose they'd go and raise the spoiler they didn't have them fixed like they do now at a certain angle you know, if you was man enough, you'd you'd lay that joker down like Bill Elliott did in 1985, yep. where it only had 10 degrees. Yep. And and that's kind of what made the racing better then too. Is sure they stuck the restrictor plates on there, but you know, run a 20 degree spoiler if you want to run a 15 degree spoiler. Then you had to, you know, it was getting the end of a run. The tires were bad. The tires got wore. They were lifting, you know, and it would separate the field. You wouldn't have horrible pack crashes, you know, and it was who could keep up. And there's usually four, five, eight cars that usually hit it and they would be the pack. And those would be tight at the beginning and loose at the end, yeah. but they would still handle because you could drive a dump truck around Talladega at 200 mile an hour, you know, according to Kyle Petty. Um, <laughs> but the whole difference was is when their rear end got light, they actually had enough spoiler to where they felt comfortable and they could run wide open or lift yeah. just a little bit and maybe burp it in the corner and get back on it. Most of these guys today, there's probably three drivers that have got cojones big enough to do that. I'm not even going to mention, uh, mention the three that I know that can, but there's only three in the field that can do that. And, you and know, y'all I- could probably come out and name each one of them Yeah, so uh, I did want to, I wanted to, uh, I want to go back. Uh, I think you were going to say something about it, Danny, but uh, seeing as you guys saw pre-restrictor plate races, I know we're, we, we're out of restrictor plates now, but they're essentially, they're essentially the same pack racing and stuff. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I did want to ask that, that specific race uh, where Elliot came from two laps down to win, um, what was the fan experience like then? Was everybody in astonishment? I mean, was there confusion? Because there was only, I, I think, six or eight drivers on the scoring pylon at that time. Um, and and from then until, you know, the races that, that, that we went to um, in the early 2010s, I mean, what was, the, what was the difference that you felt at the racetrack between, you know, those seldom um, loose – packs where you had two or three cars running and, and, and then the tight packs and now. Well, it's the same thing when we're talking about, I was talking about earlier, you go to the race, you're just not watching that first pack. You're watching everybody else. You know, the TV's going to show you the first pack. And a lot of people there, well, I can say this back in 85, my father, I was watching it. He really, he kind of lost contact with Elliot and how he was doing. I was watching it and, making up laps and i think a lot of most of the fans i mean you, when you're there you keep you pretty much if you're a if you're a true fan you're going to keep up with it Absolutely. so so and most of the people around us were keeping up with it where we were sitting yeah, there at that time I will we agree. Were, 
but the and the, but the people you can tell the people that are the fans and the people who are there that just got tickets because when all that happened and they were Elliot fans and Elliot came on pit road and all that the stand you could tell the one the Fairweather fans they just clear out and go home and the same way at Richmond this when we were at Richmond when it got about halfway through the race and our section half cleared out we're like well where is everybody going this is a great race yeah, absolutely. It was, mm-hmm. that, so, yeah, specifically. I know you said that at the top of the show. It was a fantastic race. Yeah, Richmond uh, was a was a fantastic. It was a fantastic race. It was a, it was really good. It it got. I don't. I didn't agree with the way they did the stages, but I it was a good race. But again, get back to the eighty five. Yeah, people kept up with it, and it, you, you I kept my eyes on Elliot because I wanted to see how he was coming back. You watch the leaders. You watch him. And you were God. He's just he's. And you can just see it, you know, like when we go to the races, you know, we don't have stopwatches, but we have it in our head. We know just about how fast someone's going, you know, how much faster one pack's going than another. And you're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> so. We, we, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was always fun going, especially like, you know, going with other NASCAR fans, which is something that, you know, other than, you know, obviously my dad and, and, and now Myra, uh, um, like I've never really gotten to experience going with a group of people like that, uh, as I did with, with you and your, your boys, uh, when we were going, it was, it was really awesome to be able to, you know, converse with the people around you about what's going to happen and why, and you kind of get, you know, a little bit flustered at each other because this is happening and you said it would, and it didn't happen and and that, that kind of other stuff. Um, so and Todd, Todd Gillen still owes me three bucks. <laughs> who, who does <laughs> Todd Gillen? You're gonna have to explain that because the only I, people that understand that are me and my dad. I had a question, but now I've got a new one. Okay, so go ahead. No, we were at the truck race, it was what 2018 truck race, huh? Yeah, 2018 truck race, yeah, yeah. and we we had we. We all had a little dollar bet on who was going to win, and forget who was. Yeah, we'll figure out who everybody had, but um, the truck I had got wrecked by uh, Todd Gillen. He, the truck I had wrecked Todd Gillen. Well, then David Gillen come back out on the next restart and wrecked him. And, yeah, I remember yeah, that. I remember that. <laughs> so yeah. there goes my $2. So they all, I and to this day, I just, I, I keep, every time I watch a truck race, I tell Jake, I said, oh, he blows up. Oh, he runs out of gas. Yeah. <laughs> what was that one race? It was yeah, Texas. I said, Jake, he, I hope he runs out of gas. And damn, he didn't run out of gas. <laughs> and we were at Dover a couple years ago. Yeah, that's another racetrack we've been to. We've been to Dover a couple times. Uh, We've been three times to Dover, and we Jake was getting an autograph from Todd Gill, and he goes, "You know, you you owe my dad three dollars. He really hates you." <laughs> and Todd, Todd Gill told Jake, "I don't care." Yeah. <laughs> what? Kind of like it's kind of like what? What? Where'd that come from? Yeah, yeah. Well, Jake's not afraid to speak his mind about drivers. No, there was an it. there was an incident where we we talked about a uh, a McDonald's menu item in, in the garage in Atlanta, and and he got oh, a yeah. smart look from Damian McMurray. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah. 
So, oh, yeah. um, and then we were at the, where, where, what race we were? Yeah, we were at Williams Grove over the summer, and Donnie Schatz was riding around on a little moped, uh, just to checking the track prep. And we were up against the fence in turn one and two where he was at, and Jake yells out at him, Nice clown bike, Donnie. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ! Jake and I would get you know, he's not—he's not, he's not oh, gonna baby face anymore. He's gonna get—he's gonna get a shiner one of these days. Nah. Oh, Donnie Shots laughed at, laughed with him on it. So, yeah, Jake's my people. He and I would get along. We do the same shit. Yeah. So, so context of what I was talking about, we uh, we usually got in the infield, and then uh, at AMS, there's a a blocked off section mm-hmm. where you can walk through, but not if there's drivers coming, security stop you. And the drivers will come from the, the, the lot to the garage in practice. And that, that space is usually packed with fans, um, which is one of the reasons I'm disappointed about practice moving forward, but that's a different argument for a different yeah. day. And so he's coming over here. And he's on the other fence line signing autographs. And so instead of saying, hey, Jamie, can you come sign something? Jake just says, hey, McFlurry. And it was – he, he he like, locked eyes with him, and he was so mad. And he just shook his head. No one just kept walking. It was the funniest thing oh, I've ever seen. Oh, he said something race. back to Jake, didn't he? Oh, he did. Oh, well, he did. <laughs> but yeah, that was – Jake has no, he gives no fucks. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Jake's Jake's my people. So Jake, pick the race next year you want to go to. We'll go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mary, caught, Mary caught him a spoiled little brat. Oh, wow. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. So um, earlier this season on Fan Fuel, I said something about, you know, just treating the drivers like they're human and being nice to them. Uh, yeah, Jake is kind of the antithesis of that. So before we move on no, to he, everybody else's I questions, a, I get, no, he, he he treats the drivers nice. He he just has Jake just has his side of the, his little side that you know he likes he likes who he likes. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did want to get in before I know Colton and Nathan have a lot of questions. I've been kind of hijacking everything uh, so far, but I did want to ask you know to you guys both. Uh, Danny and, and of course, Chad, my dad. Um, how was it having the three of us growing up and getting us into racing and being able to to take us all for those couple of years um, to those uh, to those races together and just you know becoming like a little unit almost? Did we lose both of you? No, I'm I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. To me, it wasn't as it, it it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, being that we introduced you to race cars basically, you know, by your first birthday. And again, you know, I know if anybody's not heard the first thing, I mean, my son's first word was not mama, and it wasn't daddy. It was race car, no joke, race car. And uh, when he was born for his first Christmas, he got a number four Sterling Marlin car, thanks to his first name. Um, And he's had that ever since. But 
every Sunday we had racing on and anytime we could find racing on on TV, we had it. And then I guess the easiest way to get a kid hooked was the fact that when the PlayStation came out or we had Nintendo, we got the racing games, we got the NASCAR versions and that's, that's pretty much where Alex got it. And then he started out adding back with the, uh, I think he first got the ATV and then the motocross, and then you stepped into the F1 and stuff like that. But it just grew based on the video games. But had he not liked racing because it was on all the time and sat down and watched it with me, maybe it would have been harder to do the, do it that way. Um, I don't know what it would take to get a kid to do it now, but you know, you can influence them a lot by, you know, hey, come sit down and watch a race with me. Yeah, we both might fall asleep on the couch while we're watching it, but it's better than, you know, doing something and they find out that they don't like it, you know. And it's definitely quality time that you're spending with the kids. Yeah, it's the same with us. Now, Jake, I mean, Ben was first, you know, you and Alex, you and Ben are the are right at the same age and it was doing the same thing with that video games watching on tv going you know trying to you know taking him to race taking him to some races and you know, we did the truck race a couple times at atlanta and uh so yeah it's that and i'm looking at all the video games they've got sitting up right here road to knoxville Thunder 2002, Dirt to Daytona, Thunder 2004, 2005, Total Team Control, 8, 9, 11, 14. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's all the video games. And then I think Ben, Ben did like you, Alex. He, he, he did the NASCAR, and he watches NASCAR a lot, and he likes to go to the races. But he's he's ventured in, and now he's... Well, Jake, too. Jake's more of an open-wheel. He likes the open-wheel IndyCar. And, but Ben, he's ventured into the F1. He loves watching that every week now. And if I could get him to, I think if I could get him to Coda or get him, you know, one of these days, get him to one, to an F1 race, it, he would, he, it would be just the icing on the cake for him. So it's just not that they watch NASCAR. They watch all forms of racing. You know, we, we have flow racing. You know, I'm telling you, Jake has gotten into the, he's really not, he's really not been a, he never was a really big fan of the late model dirt, but once we got up here and started going to sprints, he really jumped into the sprints. Jake is a, he just loves the sprint cars. Um, and it's, I think it's not just because, you know, you're seeing Larson and, and all the, some of the NASCAR drivers run these sprint cars. I, it's, I think it's the action because these sprint, yeah. I mean, you're running, you know, half mile Williams Grove, you're running a 16 second lap and it's, you know, it's a pretty flat track, pretty tight corners, long straights. It's like a, it looks like a Martinsville. So, and then we go to Lincoln and it looks a lot, Lincoln's a lot like Sonoa just with red clay. So, well, I will yeah. say this. The world of outlaws and that, you know, Tony Stewart's all-star circuit of champions, when they go to town, to any one of these places that he's talked about in Pennsylvania, they are the underdogs. 
I mean, yeah. the PA Posse, the guys that race there weekly, Dietrich, Freddie Raymer, you know, Marks. all Donnie Christ, all of those yeah. guys, they are so much more on the level of a national touring series than anybody else. And I know I've got feeds that I can watch a lot of these races, and I, I watch Williams Grove pretty much every Friday night if I can. And they put on some awesome racing with their local stuff. That's just Pennsylvania Posse. They have got the greatest sprint car following other than the Midwest and Indiana and that sort of place than anywhere else. And, and I hate to say it, but you know, we're super late model guys. Cause that's pretty much all we run around here, you know, and we don't have access to those awesome deals like Danny and them do now in Pennsylvania because that is the Pennsylvania Posse lane. And sprints are big time up there. You know, you go further out west, you, you, it may not be super late models or sprints. It's going to be the um, IMCA modified and those yeah. street stocks. That's the big deal. You know, it just depends on where you are. Now, if I could have been in Pennsylvania and been lucky enough to be watching the Pennsylvania Posse all my life, oh my goodness, that would have been awesome. I ain't going to lie, that would have been the top of the line spot for me. I, I, I sort of envy him a little bit because he's up yeah. there in that neck of the wood because, I mean, he's got some of the greatest racetracks in the country. Yeah, it's it, it's greater. I mean, there's tons. I mean, we could go to, I mean, like we were talking about the other day, we were talking about Lernerville and, I mean, that's a, about a three-hour drive for us, but it's something to go do and uh, I mean, we need to go do, like to go Hagerstown and I think this year with the, to, if everything gets a little less restricted, we'll do more of those speed week races. Yeah. Actually Lincoln from my house is only like 20 minutes. So. Wow. And then Williams Grove is only like 45 minutes just outside of, outside of uh, Harrisburg. So it's yeah, not so that. Y'all are, y'all are within arms reach of these, these racetracks. I know yeah. my dad We've we've driven far uh, further than we probably should have to some of these races three 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 plus hours, um, but kind of swinging back into the uh, to the NASCAR thing. I know you know we we've not we kind of just you know ebbed and flowed tonight, um, but but Colton had something to ask you guys because not only have you seen some golden era stuff of you know short track racing and what have you, um, you know, obviously experience different series come and go through television but he wanted to focus on one of his favorite uh past nascar drivers yeah so my all-time favorite driver and i tell everyone this since i was a little kid is davy allison i wish i would have been born anything before 96 94 so i could see him race um but i mean you you mentioned that you were there at his, at his first race what was it like seeing him win and seeing him race at talladega for those few years that he did he, he got more. He got more cheers than Dale Earnhardt. I tell you that. They loved him, and he was he was a hell of a restrictor plate driver. He was a hell of a driver. Period. I mean, again, talking about that '92 uh, IROC race, and he came from nowhere and just he just blitzed them. I mean, five wide coming out of turn four to get the lead. He he had a he had a natural gift. I think. I mean, it, it was just. It, with Robert Yates' power, 
him driving that Robert Yates car and that Robert Yates power, you knew he was going to be up front all day. And anywhere he went, if he's either going to be up front or he's, in, or he's going to be in a wreck. So <laughs> that's yeah. not how it was. But he was a great, to me, I I think if situation was turned, I don't think Earnhardt got seven, would get seven championships. I think uh, Davey Allison would have had three or four. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. I don't think Gordon would have 93 wins either. I don't either. Yeah. It was, he was he was that good to me he was that good i mean i've got i've got a lot check and tell you i've got a lot of i like davy i got a lot of i had some memorabilia but i've i always like that robert yates car too so yeah well, on the topic of oh go ahead the, the the biggest thing about davy is he was always calm you couldn't tell exactly what he was really doing behind the wheel until he did it, you know. Um, he challenged Bill Elliott before Bill Elliott had his issues in that 1987 race. He passed him multiple times. And it looked like he, he could at will at any point in time for his first win and do it then. And Danny is 100% correct. I mean, Talladega was... 100% Davy Allison, Alabama gang, 100%. I mean, nobody was going to get any louder cheers than him. Earnhardt might have been second, but there was nobody going to outplay Davy at that home track. And the, the most solemn moment would definitely be before the July 93 race after he lost his life. That was the quietest I have ever heard a racetrack to at a NASCAR event. It is yeah. very odd, to say the least, that somebody earned that much respect. But knowing how he came up and his daddy made him build everything and Donnie, his uncle, helped him every possibility he could, Nobody really knew how good Davey was, even though he could showcase it on the track. And he only got 19 wins to show for it. But there were so many other opportunities that were missed opportunities for him that he he could have easily had 25 in that same time frame as 19. And yes, after losing that title in 92, 93 was probably going to be his. Yeah. And... But he was just as good on a short track as a super speedway. He was fearless. But he would calculate so many things differently. And then all of a sudden he would pounce just like a line behind the weeds. You know, you, if he was there, he was going to take his shot. He was that good. Yeah. Yeah, I love hearing that. Nate, I know you got a question, so go ahead. Yeah, um, on the topic of drivers from that time, um, you know, I wasn't around for Dale Earnhardt at the time when he dominated Talladega. So I hear a lot of people say that he was ahead of his time in terms of knowing how to do things that that are common practice today, like side drafting, all that stuff that you see on the TV every time you turn it on now. But, you know, back then, like, was the same view around, you know, were people saying that he's ahead of his time or did no one know that he was – kind of set the standard for those types of racing. Well, 
I think you could watch him, and Chad and I, when we watched him and we talked about it back then, we knew that he was, it wasn't, you know, oh, he can see the air. No, he, he just knew how the, he knew how the air was played. He figured it out. Right. He was the first really one to figure it out. And one thing he really figured out was getting to the outside of somebody and using the car and the wall getting into turn one. And he could use that and he would I just don't think it would, you know, it's not seeing the air, but he, he did, he did figure out. And I think it also comes from back when there weren't restricted plates and doing slingshots and, and trying to get runs on cars to do, to do that. So I don't know, Chad, you want to, I would, to be honest, I think it's one of those, you could see air because if you look at them now, Look how tight the window nets are put up. They are so solid, right? There was a looseness on certain people's cars. You do me on those window nets. They were still tight, but they were loose. And depending on where you were and the way the air was coming in, you could watch that window net vibrate. And if you'll go back and watch in-car cameras, you'll see what I'm talking about. Therefore, you're changing the air dynamics. So, yeah, he could see the air because out of his left side, he could watch it or it would stop depending on where they were at. And sometimes I would say, depending on how they had some of those vents coming in and on to them for cooling them off in July, of course, and May was still hot, too, but. It could be that you could feel a different pulse from that air coming in the car based on those hoses. It was a dynamic that he learned and he knew when to go when he felt that certain air shift. But I don't think he could see the air pretty per se. I knew that I think he could feel the air difference and especially the way it would whistle through the car by that driver's side window in the window net. And Something he learned to do that nobody else did. Small details. Also didn't help that also didn't hurt that he had a great engine and, and good trans yeah. good you know. <laughs> yeah. And and they they were ahead of their time building building sleek cars too. So Yeah, I just think yeah, it's absolutely. interesting because now you got guys like Hamlin saying that their spotter meets with aerodynamicists before every super speedway race to say, you know, where do we want to put our car? We don't want to be in this place in the pack because it's going to upset the balance. And you hear stories like that. And it's like, they didn't have any of that stuff. They just did it on their own. It was almost like, you know, they set trends that were little than they know at the time. Now it's, you know, everyone's trying to mimic, mimic that thing. Right. And, and, and even, even more interesting, they didn't even have spotters back then. Right. So the spotter position was around, but it was more like, Hey, there's a wreck in turn four. Yeah, it wasn't. Right. It wasn't right. a tool like we use it today. So it was. So it was not a driving are... coach tool. You're right. correct. Compared yeah. to, hey, there's a spin in turn one, or hey, there's a spin in turn four. Turn go four. high, go low, go high, whatever. You know. Yeah. You're, you're right. The dynamics of the spotter and his job have changed, just like technology, to ascend that team. But spotters have ruined racing because of that. Yeah. You know why? Because at the same point in time, now that receivers are involved, and yes, they do still have that hooked up in those cars as well, 
why can NASCAR not just talk to them and when they have caution and tell them where it's at, get rid of the spotters. I don't think they're needed anymore because of the receiver technology and the one-way communication from the tower. And I say that because I've done the job. You know, if you're too close to the wreck, yeah, you hear caution, you're not going to be able to react to get out of it anyway. But at the same time, you also don't need to know, hey, you're clear coming off a of turn two at Richmond. Yeah. Or, hey, you still got somebody to the outside. If you can't hear them to the outside because they're that close to you, should you really be driving that race car? I mean, that's how that's how you learned how to drive when you was driving in whatever street stock all the way to where it got you in NASCAR, right? You had to hear. Most of the time, you didn't have a spotter. Yeah, and I would say that it's probably why they drove with a little more respect back then because they didn't have somebody acting as their eyes, so they couldn't, you know, they couldn't take the liberties they do now, it seems like, with the blocking. Yeah, it's also with the blocking. Um, if the spotter is basically driving the car and, you know, what happens if that driver is that split second off, you know, mm-hmm. does he, is okay, and he tells him go high and then, you know, get in that line and he, and now the spotter's driving the car and if the driver doesn't do it exactly to the second or to the split second, there's the wreck. You know, he's not, fe- he's not looking, he's just reacting. The spotter right. says go, you know, so. And if he's that split second off, there's the big wreck too. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's something that definitely, like we had said, it's it's kind of dynamically grown into a another tool. And right. I don't think that we could get away from it now. I see it's a valid point that you guys are making. I'm going to have to say that spotters have probably made some of the racing better until this 550 package, in my opinion. Because we've we've had the ability to have the safety net, especially at plate tracks, to have better races and better runs because guys can move around better because they have an you know eye in the back of their head or whatever where they didn't. But definitely, TJ Majors being the greatest spotter of all time ruined the fall Kansas race last last year i, I mean it's it, to a point it, right. it, i can i can agree with you guys where it, it's it it might not matter on the smaller racetracks. i think the thing with them is that i don't like the driver coaching aspect of it i've always thought that you know if one driver is doing something better than the other then the drivers in the car should figure that out themselves they shouldn't yeah, be told right. hey this is where this guy is running you need to do this you need to do that you know and kind of it kind of like you said it's a tool like it takes away what the driver has to do himself yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I think everything you guys said nailed it on the head. And it wasn't even an opinion that I had before this episode. And then you guys said it. I was like, oh, shit. That makes I mean, sense. you come to fan fuel for hot topics. And I don't necessarily right. agree that we need to get rid of them. But that definitely but puts into valid. perspective something that I've never thought about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've grown up in the era where spotters are what they are today. And right. so, here. yeah, to hear those stories, they're like, oh, shit, that – that does really make sense. Like you're, you know, if you can't tell that someone's on your outside, probably shouldn't right. be driving a race car, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, next time I fun. see the DBC guys at the racetrack, I'm going to tell them that my dad's got beef with them. Just give them the bird. That's it. I talked to Fred. I talked to Freddie Kraft at Richmond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
They're really nice guys. Uh, yeah. they, I don't think I got to talk to all three of them in Atlanta, and, and it was good. I mean, they, they served their purpose, though. Like, I respect the job, and I'd love to be able to do it because I feel like, you know, analytical uh, fans like us could do it well uh, compared to maybe some of the guys in the back of the pack that don't have very good spotters right now. But uh, unless Colton or Nathan has any more questions or Danny or Chad, you have any questions for us, we'll we'll go ahead and move on. I've got a million questions, but they can all wait. Okay. All right. Uh, Nobody else has any questions? What we're going to next? Well, we're going to go ahead and move into uh, what I'm calling a send-off of the Gen 6 era. So um, this plate package is not what we've had the past couple of years. It is producing similar racing uh, at Daytona, so I'm sure we'll see a hell of a race this weekend at talladega but with next gen testing we've heard a lot of things like side drafting being gone um steering not making sense and 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 a whole new era coming in obviously with the next gen car so i kind of want to reminisce on what we've seen since 2013. uh so i'm going to kind of do a rapid fire question um like we usually do uh for our work with jokes segment uh we'll start below me with chad move to danny then go up to nathan colton and then myself um, and let's go ahead. we got three or four simple questions out of the Gen 6 era up until now, uh, you know, August 2021, all the way back to February of 2013. What is your favorite moment in the Gen 6 restrictor plate era? Uh, I would say the first Gen 6 moment is when they took the restrictor plate off. Even though it was a tapered spacer, put that big spoiler on the back a couple of years ago. I know Chase Elliott won the race, but the fact that those jokers sounded so much more like the cars in the 70s and 80s at that point because they weren't so restricted. And the fact that they made pull-ups pull and they were fast and they could pull up on the other cars just like they were going for slingshots. I mean, it, it reminisced like yesteryear, but yet it was so total today's racing. But that was my favorite moment. Yeah, I think I'd have to hang on. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Nathan, if you want to go, well, Danny. All right. Um, I'll probably say the last few Gen 6 races with the bigger spoiler package. Um, 2019 fall race at Talladega was pretty entertaining. Guys get runs. It was super competitive, um, close finishes. The Coke 0400 I was at a few weeks ago was really good, too, because I thought it was super competitive. It is a little different than the, the last package where you couldn't really get a run on the leader. You'd have to get a lane of 10 cars just to be able to make a pass. And I think the package did its purpose really well with guys being able to get runs on their own. And, you know, the leader wasn't able to just sit there and control all the lanes. Like they had yeah. to, they had to make a real effort to stay there. All right, Danny. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, I agree with Chad with, with the going away from the restricted plate to the, to the tapered spacers and that way you're getting more you know they had more throttle control and they had more you know it was more like slingshots and but then again i think one of the best the 
just for pure strategy races was the one we were at where Stuart Haas just said, okay, we're going to line up and we're just going to kick everybody's butt. Yeah. But, then, and, but then again, NASCAR goes, no, you're not. We're going to have, we're going to, we're going to put our stamp on it at the end. We're going to make sure you either run out of gas and you're not going to win. You know, your own four cars aren't going to be one, two, three, four. So, and then you yelling bacon for the last three laps. Yeah, Alex. Hey, man, I signed up for that sweepstakes. I'm mad that I didn't win that year's worth of bacon from Smith. I was rooting on Eric Almirola that day harder than anyone else at that race. He had no voice left at all after that race, yelling bacon. Oh, and and that that's beside the point. You sure to heard him when Dini came by in the truck. Yeah, he went nuts. Yelling dinner, same way he was yelling bacon at the end of the race. And Denny actually did wave up toward the top because he heard him. But unfortunately, yeah. Denny also, as soon as he got by, did this number right here and shook his head. Hey, he knew I, who he was. After that race, after that race, I made that a tradition, and I said something about that when I met him at at, at Atlanta a couple uh, a couple of races races later maybe it was not the next year but the year after that uh going to driver intros and he said oh that's you and so i at least have made a mark on my favorite driver whether or not oh, it's yeah, embarrassing so i don't care <laughs> but yeah that was a heck of a strategy that Stuart austin just to get all four they were just going to run one two three four we're going to put these cars nose to tail and we're and they were almost like a four car tandem i mean it was kind of a four in the tandem racing, it was. And it was. You might cut out there uh, for a second, Danny. So. Oh, sorry. But yeah, it, it was just, to me, that's just some strategy. You just don't. I, I, you can't. How they. I mean, you got your ego. I, I know a, a driver, you got to have your ego and just sit there and you're not the lead car and just ride all day or be. You know, second, third, or fourth. That that took a lot of doing. I think that took a lot of a lot of strategy and a, a lot of restraint for those guys. Well, and not only that, but that well, same Colton's race you're talking too, about reminded you of that '92 race when those four cars broke away. Yeah. The best yeah. Gen Six moment. I got two of them, and it was fall right. 2019. Yes, sir. And spring 2020. The two most recent Monday Talladega races. I'm I'm super biased. I'm gonna tell yeah. You we're right. gonna get that out of the way too. Extremely <laughs> biased on this. All right. It has nothing to do with the racing. It's that my guy Ryan Blaney won both of them. I was at one and I was watching the other one live. Uh, the way he. Oh, kind of you were not at that race. You you could not say okay. that does not count. I saw the start. Hold on, I was at that Wait, race too. Just because we didn't go back Monday because we had prior, op- you know. Yeah. We saw the best 76 laps of racing NASCAR had put <laughs> yeah. on in their history to that point. Beside the point, we watched the race that Ryan Wayne, Blaney won. It doesn't yep. matter that we went on premises to watch him win. Yep. <laughs> Those were the best ones. Um, I'm super biased, but to be fair, the package was also good there. I like the runs that the cars got. Um, I like the fact that um, there was yeah. multiple grooves for the lead. Um, and it wasn't just all train racing for the majority of the race like we've seen as of late and as we've saw the few years before that. Um, I like the fact that um, multiple guys could get a run coming off turn four to get the win 
um, not just one or two like we usually see. Um, I mean, so bias aside, those are still good races anyway, um, but those are my favorite just because of who won. Right. Now, if if I would have to say the best uh, Gen 6 moments, obviously the races – in the last two years have been phenomenal. I've, I can say I've seen Denny Hamlin win three Daytona 500s in the era, but but to come down to me, it has nothing to do with a race. It was being in the stands and watching Dale Earnhardt Jr. win the pole for the last time at Talladega in October 2015, and my God, I have never felt the electricity I felt that day from the <laughs> few people true. that stuck around for the for the truck race and just the the just goosebumps and everything that happened when everyone just shouted and and screamed. Everyone in the stands. Doesn't matter if they were a Dale Jr. fan or not. They knew that was the last time that they were going to be able to see that at that racetrack at the ground that his dad, you know, just built per se and it was just electrifying. I, I don't think I'll ever reach that same high in this sport again. And so that would that would be my favorite Gen 6 moment um, at, at, at a play track. So uh, going the opposite way, there was All a right. lot of bad in the Gen 6 era <laughs> when it comes to plate racing. So Daytona and Talladega, what, what, what were your guys' worst memories of Gen 6? During me and this is a Talladega episode. I don't think we can throw Daytona in there with it. Yeah. Um, Anytime that anytime that I had to watch Joey Logano win a race in the Gen Six car at Talladega is bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so bad. I don't mind Blaney. Never mind the Keselowski. I just. Have a very, very distinct dislike for Logano. I do too. And okay, I've got one for you. The same race, the same 2015 fall race. Joey Logano wins that race. Junior should have won that race because Kevin Harvick down two cylinders wrecks the field on the last restart to stay in the playoffs. Now hold on, Danny, because the fans don't know your favorite driver. Who is your favorite driver? Kevin Harvick, I was with so, Kevin Harvick that year, oh, but I still oh. think he's a. Ba- I still think oh. it was a bonehead. I still think that was a bonehead move. I mean, I don't. I mean, don't, he manipulated. And that kid in the background behind Danny is still crying because Junior <laughs> lost that race. Yeah, that was. That was Jacob. Was that Junior at that time? This is for Kyle Larson. He, J- Jacob is now full blown. Kyle Larson. He's. He's drank the Kool-Aid, but he's yeah. sprint, watching the sprint, watch him in sprints and last year when he was out and now this and before, but he's, but in 2015, it was Dale Jr. And it was that, well, yeah, but then, yeah, Dale Jr. was his guy and it, it really, that was, oh, you ought to hurt him all the way home. It was, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. He, he, yeah. he was, he was still shaking mad when we got home to Noonan. <laughs> oh man i guess for mine i'd probably go with um you know if you can't bring in daytona obviously the 2013 and 2500 was the single file train race but you know they've happened at talladega too so i'll probably say the worst out of the gen 6 era have to be any time they got in a single file train and they just rode 
because you know you couldn't do anything to get a run on a leader at that point there's just a bubble of air between you and the other car so yeah there were a couple well, races in that time that were pretty rough well usually it was dale earnhardt jr lead them to the top and they would all ride yep. around but it was also after they all they always did that just to kind of calm the race down because they've always it was usually right. after a big wreck so mm-hmm. you know you just you, you know as tony stewart said should just oh, make shit, a, do a figure eight you know make it a figure eight <laughs> track you know? <laughs> so but yeah i agree that i'd never like i don't know when you're there i guess yeah, when you're different. at the when you're at the track it's different because watching it come by and this and that and you're thinking but when you're yeah when you're on the couch watching it and all they're showing right. is the first four cars of the you know yeah it does get it does get kind of monotonous watching a one long snake line so that the 2018 fall is actually my worst race just because not only was I watching it on TV, I just saw the banger of a truck race the day before um, with the whole Todd David Gillen situation. <laughs> uh, that was, you guys just you opened up a memory that I forgot I had. I forgot all about that race, and it was awesome. Um, but, man, just seeing those four cars just absolutely put everyone in the dust for like 160-something laps. Um, and I had a buddy who was at that race, too. And he's the one I went to the fall 2019 race with. Um, and he even said, like, man, if it's anything like last year, like, we're leaving after the first stage because I'm not doing this again. Um, so I know it was for for us young fans that don't have the attention span, it was – it was that was abysmal. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're there, though, you just don't watch the first four cars. You're watching the guys in the back going why don't they they're racing their guts out side by side yeah. three wide tried to be the first car in the next right. line to catch them and then you're going well why don't they do who cares who's in the lead just get in a line you'll run them you could run them down yeah to be fair <laughs> he was in the campground so he couldn't see a ton and so all he saw was four cars and then wait a second and then the pack you know yeah well there at one time you would see four cars and wait half a lap and see the rest of them well, and he's only 20, he was only 26, so I mean, he didn't get to live through that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I don't think back to a bunch of the races. Obviously, seeing the, the Jimmy Johnson, Dale Jr. train races were, were not fun. You know, being a Denny Hamlin fan and being frustrated that he was always the, the one guy that wanted to make a run and nobody would go with him. Oh, yeah. There's plenty not to like in the Gen 6 era, don't get me wrong. Um, so... But for me, again, not looking at a race, but when NASCAR started doing the um, elimination style qualifying, I was a fan of that everywhere. I think we stopped it, you know, obviously because it turned into what Daytona was, the first uh, Daytona 500 we tried it with, and that was, I believe, 2015's qualifying session. I mean, we went out there and looked like fools trying to to get people to watch the Daytona 500 the next weekend and just – Two complete, you know, just wreck fests of two separate qualifying sessions. I don't know what NASCAR thought was going to happen, but but that was probably the worst memory I I could reminisce about, just because of the disappointment. You know, um, I think I put myself on a pedestal as a fan uh, and just wanting the sport to do too good, do good, and and then when they when they mess up, 
I, you know, have secondhand embarrassment for that because that's something that I'm very passionate about. And I want to get, you know, my friends and, 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 you know, you know, random people that I meet throughout, throughout my life to, to come and join me because it, it gives me so much joy. So when I see something just turn into a shit show like that, it, it really embarrasses me. But moving back to good things, let's let's move back to where we're going this weekend, Talladega, and there's 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 plenty of memories that we could draw back from. So I want to open it up for any anything that you can remember in the history of Talladega. What was your favorite um, thing? And it, it doesn't even have to be a race win or anything like that. It could be something as simple as watching Greg Biffle lead the race in 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 the in the fall race of 2014 or 15 because everybody else was on a different strategy. I mean, just open wide. What was your favorite Talladega moment? Well, um, there's a lot of them. My all time favorite was the funniest part was during that four hour fence rebuild in 1987, there was, couple of young ladies getting a hat passed around and everything and the more cash they got in there and then all of a sudden they turned around and took the bikini off and my mom was sitting right next to me and tried to cover my eyes up and I said mom those are so small they wear they didn't need a hat to carry that they should have thrown quarters oh lord <laughs> mom I put money in that hat <laughs> but you know that's 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 one of them I mean, Talladega, it holds so, so many memories of just being there in person and not having to watch it on TV. I feel like I've been sort of blessed because I live in between Atlanta and Talladega, two of the fastest tracks on the circuit, you know. And they're an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minutes away to get to see that to get to see the history yeah. that i've actually seen buddy baker win at talladega and that's where i also became a non-dale earnhardt fan because i was pulling for dale earnhardt in 1980 and baker run him down earnhardt only took two tires baker had four he run him down and passed him. Ever since then, I've hated Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> I'm sorry he let me down. That's just the way it is. Seeing Richard Petty win 197 May of 83 in person with my uncle, my dad, and my cousin. It was the two brothers and their sons together. Great memory. Um, and what what else can you go by other than you've seen some of the best wrecks that you've ever seen in person there? One of which where I got to see 34 car, I think that was Chris Busher at the time, flipped down the back straightaway, tried calling Alex for an hour, hour and a half that morning, telling him to meet me at Talladega. He never would pick up the phone. I had a seat. He sat there and watched it in Troy while he was in college because he wouldn't pick up his phone. So, <laughs> damn it, Alex. I mean, listen, okay, I got it's home a, it's late a memory. that night because I was working at Subway and I didn't have my ringer on. So, oh. that is that's my that's worst. That's his story, and he's sticking to it. Bring that up. 
Yeah, I, I, I put that in the back of my mind. And I forgot about it. I'm, I'm mad that you brought but, it up. Now you done got me mad. But think, think of this: the fact that you've seen Earnhardt win there, you've seen Daryl Waltrip, you've seen Richard Petty, I've seen Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I've seen the biggest icons in the sport win at Talladega in person. How many other folks can you say? that may be able to say the same thing in today's still fandom of NASCAR. I mean, I saw, we've, we've seen Davey Allison win there, you know, of course, Yeah. you know, I mean, Harry Gant and every, and a lot of Harry Gant's wins came within seven days of when Nolan Ryan threw a no hitter. So every time he threw a no hitter, Harry Gant was winning the next weekend. Yeah. And he won that. He won that Monday in '91. Look it up. Nolan Ryan threw a no hitter the week before. Huh. Um, I never thought about that. I guess that's one of the things you got to be around to see. Right. Um, but I mean, and then we got the fact that we got to see the IROC races, and we were there at the first Bush race when it was yeah. Bush and got to see the icons race with the Bush guys then. And, you know, there's just so many more and some that I can honestly say it was going back as far as the seventies, like I did and getting to see all the, I would say that we've, I've probably went across four, maybe almost five generations of NASCAR superstars, right? So, to see that in person and watch them win is quite, quite, quite incredible. All right. Well, Danny, um, I think my dad just opened this question up to not just be your favorite Dega memory. <laughs> what does Talladega mean to you? I mean, we're getting philosophical Good. with this one. I know. Well, great friends. You know, Chad and I, you know, venturing there every year. Uh, wouldn't have done it, you know, probably wouldn't have been going to that if it wasn't you know didn't have the friends to go uh again father my father just passed last week suddenly and remembering you know the 91 and him taking me in 85 and going the, the years we you know together you know that that that'll be a memory those will be memories i have forever um knowing you know my father liked nascar but my father wasn't a rabid that rabid race fan he was more of a drag racer he always loved drag racing so and to get him to go and be there i think he just did it because because of both chad and me he thought of chad as his son and he was you know we we did it as we you know we did it like a family and again if you want to go to personal i think when chad got me those the press pass, those press passes in 2000, I saw Dale Earnhardt win his last race. That's really special to me. I mean, I'll never, I'll never be able to, to repay Chad for that. Um, again, earn, I mean, the wrecks. I mean, you, you remember, you remember the good times, you remember the bad times. And you, you always thought, well, every year you think, well, maybe this is, maybe Rusty Wallace will win a race. But then again, He's going to be flipping down either the front or the back straight every year. So, <laughs> so you, you remember the good times, you remember the bad, you remember the bad races, you remember the good races, but they're they're all great memories. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, on the topic of races, I'd probably say there were three in my time that I really remembered as, you know, ones that stuck out as my childhood. And that's the 2010 spring race with all the tandem racing, the lead changes, that photo finish. Um, that was one of my all-time favorites. The 2012 fall race was also really good, too, up until the last lap pile up. And 2019 fall was also a really good one. So there's a lot of races that, you know, I've gone back and watched that were really good. But those are the ones that I remember because I got to see them live. So I'm going to narrow it down to one single moment. I wasn't even alive for this, but I've done so much research and watched so many videos and read so many articles about it. I am infatuated with this one single moment in Talladega. And it doesn't even have to do with racing. It is when the hold my beer and watch this was invented. It was in, I believe, 86, right before the race started. A fan went down on a pit road and jumped May in the pace car. May 86. May yep. 86, jumped in the pace car and ran it for a couple <laughs> laps around Talladega. A fan stole the pace car. Uh, anywhere he, else but Talladega, I probably wouldn't believe it. But And if he's a little uh, less drunk, he could have got more laps because they didn't really could've. block him in that hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that's the – whenever I think of Talladega, I think of, you know, big pack racing, big wrecks, and this, that, and the other. But, one, I mean, I always think about the fans stealing the pace car. That's a, that's a story that I tell people who aren't racing fans. Like, hey, this happened. You know, could you imagine a fan stealing the ball before an NFL game, right? You know, it, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, a wild I, thing. I will also say the July 1984 race is on YouTube now. I would encourage you, if you have not seen it, to watch it. Um, granted, um, let's say the quality of it's not that great, but the fact that you see so many passes for the lead and so many passes that are unrecorded on the back straightaway going into turn yeah. three is incredible. That's mm. one thing that you will not ever see again today is something that happened like that back in the 80s. So I, I would definitely advise y'all to take a gander at that because I was in the back straightaway for that one. It was awesome. And one of my all-time favorite cars got raced there. Ron Bouchard actually give up his, you know, I love that simple yellow hood roof and white sides with the blue 47 on it. But it was blue on top or red on top and blue on the side. I can't remember which one it was now, but it said Hawaiian Punch and it had the big Hawaiian Punch dude on the front on the hood. That That was awesome. Yeah, well, I think for me, um, Talladega, it, it, it's kind of something different. Um, you know, I claim my home track as as Atlanta Motor Speedway just because it's closer. And, you know, my dad working there and getting us in the garage and stuff. We've done so much stuff there. But walking into Talladega has always been somewhere uh, that just kind of puts you in a different mindset. And whether or not the racing is good, it's always fun. I mean, I, I feel like I remember a lot more of the memories there, especially going with, with you two and, and, and Jake and, and, and Ben. Just being able to make those memories was, was, is, is kind of something I wish we could, you know, do again because it was so nice to have a core group of guys to just go and do a race with. 
And I love tandem racing. I feel like I was more entertained until the current um, big-ass spoiler package came along that tandem racing was so much more entertaining to watch in person than pack racing after that. So I'll say that. But my my best, my favorite memory was the the second time, um, the second Talladega race since Myra and I started dating um she came with us and sat with the five of us yeah and chase elliott took out daniel suarez in the camping world 19 <laughs> jgr car and ben had to say something and she cussed him out oh Spanish. she did yes she and did. it was the most hilarious thing i have ever seen i ain't never seen somebody sit and down so quick in my life he looks scared shitless man and also in that race jake is that Chase Elliott took out Kyle Larson, and that was when Jake, Jake had started liking Kyle Larson. You know, he was it was before that. Yeah, you, you were liking Kyle, but you were like a Dale Junior too, and all. But yeah, he he took out uh, Kyle Larson in that race too. So, and that got Jake riled up. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a fun time. That was probably my best Talladega memory. <laughs> And like I, I know said, she's probably watching, so she's probably laughing and remembering <laughs> that. But but Ben's face when she oh, yeah. started talking was just it was comical. And we give Ben a rough time anyways, but you guys just had to be there. It was the funniest shit I've ever seen. Man, somebody kicked that gig, somebody kicked Ben's puppy and then shot it right there in front of him. Right I mean, in, just, I mean that's, that's the look he had on his face. <laughs> and and like I said, Ben is Ben is the Chase Elliott. Uh, fanboy, so yeah, easy. absolutely. Yeah, less well, Chase Elliott's a dick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chase Elliott is a dick. Uh, not the first time he's done that. Trust me, I get to hear it every every time something happens to the ninety nine um, on uh, uh, on Sundays or or the twelve for that matter or the twenty three because she's yeah. a Blaney and Bubba fan as well. Um, well, I so, think both. I think getting getting a team well, off the subject, getting a teammate for both of those guys teams is going to really help them next year yeah and that's a good segue danny because we are about to go into next gen nascar uh so we we kind of reminisced about gen six and i did want to ask as guys that have been around for some time seeing pre pre plate and now post plate racing tandem racing uh, train racing uh pack racing with or without the wickerville um massive runs runs that just didn't happen because of the air bubble and stuff like that. This next gen car is going to change what we know at Talladega and Daytona from now on. And I kind of wanted to get an insight on what you guys think this new package is going to do after the comments that we've gotten from Denny Hamlin and Chris Busher and the other guys a couple weeks ago at Daytona, basically like the side draft is gone and, and the steering is so odd that, that they don't know if they can make these runs. Danny, you go first. <laughs> well, I it's it's going to be like any. I think this next gen car is going to come out, and it's going to be like the COT car was in two thousand seven. You know, they said the same thing about the COT car. They said, "Oh, this is crap. We don't like it. It doesn't steer. It doesn't this. It doesn't that." Uh, Kyle Kyle Busch wins the first race in it. At Bristol, gets out of the car, and says, "I won a race, but this car is shit." You know, yeah. so it's the same thing. They're getting out of something they know to something they don't know. 
and the engineer this is everything they're doing right now is and i think not having the side force on the car is going to be good be better it's going to be back to right. kind of old school gen gen 3 gen 3 cars type gen 4 car type thing um i don't think you need to build in a lot of side force on the car i think you need to have straight up just down force you're going to make your runs you're going to get your runs off you know getting a slingshot or or old i think it's gonna be more of an old school thing like we saw way back in the 90s when you had to back off the car and make a run to get a pass so i think it's good but again when the car comes out are there gonna be bugs in it yeah are there bugs in it now yeah i mean they, they also said it didn't drive but they also said it cooked them so it said it was a very hot very hot car so there's things they need to work out and but they'll work it out and it'll become, you know, look at the COT car. When it first came out, we all fans didn't like it. They didn't like the wing. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. It evolved through to 2012. And by, by 2009, 2010, it got to be a pretty good race car. It was putting yeah. on good races. Absolutely. That 2010 or was it 2010, 2000 Atlanta, Atlanta race where Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson went at it for what the last 60 laps. Yeah, that was I mean, 2011. 2011, yeah. So that, it, it, it's going to be a work in progress. I do like the way that they're they're doing, they're going more toward modern suspension and, and uh, sequential transmissions. I still up in the air about one lug nut. I kind of think a car needs five. If you're going to, if it's more like a stock car, you need it still needs to be that way of a stock car five lug nuts but i understand why they can't do it with the way they're doing the wheels uh again if they have any problems it's going to be a real hassle to change it's going to be a real hassle to change transmissions when they get practice again it's going to be a hassle to change clutches um with a torque tube so but i think they're going in a good direction i, I don't see I don't see that. I really don't see that diffuser on the back being a huge, a huge, huge deal. I think it's something more, especially like if you're Talladega and Daytona bump, if you bump draft and you're going to knock it off, are you going to be able to knock it off the car? <laughs> right. So that's something they got to look at. But I, in all in all, I think, I think it's a good, they're going forward. And I also yeah. like Corey LaJoy in his Twitter taking pictures of all the parts of the car. You know, today he, today he posted the shocks a couple weeks ago. He posted the rear suspension. Then after that, the front suspension. So he's actually showing everybody what the car is. Yeah. That's pretty neat. So. All right. Chad. Well, I have actually definitely come across um, the 84 Talladega 500, of course, and then I'm thinking 89, 90, 91 is going to be the racing you get for a couple of years. Granted, the engineering of these cars or the engineers working on these cars will have them so different in a year and a half compared to what they're getting right now. I know that all the teams are behind, so they're studying as much as they can, but 
how much are these teams going to be able to change them to make their possibilities greater on track? They've eliminated all the gray areas for the most part, right? I mean, it's basically a kit card. You might as well go pick up a Erdo model, and this is what you're actually got. You know, everything's the same, molded the same way. The only thing different is the body itself. So who did their best work in the aerodynamic package for downforce and speed? Um, that's where I that's where I see that this is actually going to go toward manufacturer dominance instead of the racing. But if stuff is a little bit slower, can you tell the difference in the cars going five mile an hour faster on TV than 215? If they're doing 210 or 200 or 195, can you tell that? Sitting in the stands, you're going to be able to tell it. But I do believe that all of these cars will put on a good show no matter what, given time. Right. The first five or six races, somebody's going to dominate the snot out of every race, unfortunately. If somebody's going to hit that perfect setup because of that rear suspension being, it's not one big piece under there anymore. You know, it's independent. Steering's a little different. Somebody's going to figure out how to work with those ducks and everything to where they're coming out. And the next thing you know, that that pan underneath the car to where they are trying to eliminate the fact that all of these spots are having to be done with now on the cars, the, you know, the innovation. That diffuser, all it's going to do is dump a ton of air on that other car following it, making it harder to pass. It's my first thought for the first few races until they figure this out. But then again, it could be opposite. I could be thinking the wrong way is if a car is right there underneath it, that diffuser, what happens if it just rolls that air back up under there and starts to lift that car up in the corner? And next thing you know, you watch two or three of them go in there, one behind the next one. And this one's fine. This one's fine. But this one right here goes, bam, right in the wall. It could create some cool wrecks. It could create some headaches. But that's one of the one things that I'm just welcome to see. You know, I was one of the skeptics. Alex will tell you when they put that COT on the racetrack. And I, um, I said, what the hell are they doing with a wing? But to be honest with you, that wing and everything did pretty well with downforce better than a spoiler but it just looked odd to the yeah. typical fan and couldn't go backwards that was the other problem yeah i couldn't yeah, yeah. turn them around yeah <laughs> yeah well nathan what's your biggest concern with speedway racing next year uh my biggest thing is the diffuser like you guys said um i feel like something that hasn't been talked about is you know, with underbody downforce and stuff like that. If you go watch open wheel races, if an F1 car or an Indy car gets floor damage, they become like virtually undrivable to the point where, you know, if somebody gets hit and their floor gets damaged, then they lose 60% of the downforce and then they're uncompetitive for the rest of the day. You know, what happens if you get hit in the back a little bit hard and your bumper gets crinkled up and the diffuser gets crinkled up? You know, like does your car suddenly become impossible to handle because the downforce is messed up and i also wonder 
about the closing rates. Um, that's the biggest thing for me because I think what's made the last package, the one we have now, so good is that the cars can close up to one another. They can get big runs and slingshot each other like the older package couldn't do in the first few years of the Gen 6. So I'm just hoping that you're able to get enough closing rates and you're able to build a run and, you know, be able to make passes on the guys in front of you. Yeah, none of my concerns with the the Gen 7 come with super speedway racing. I think it'll be all right. Um, granted, I'm going to side with Danny here in the fact that it's it's going to take a little bit for the teams to figure out, but all in all, I think we're going to see a pretty good super speedway package because that's that's kind of NASCAR's baby. That's their bread and butter. That's where they get the most of their ratings from. Um, so they're going to do whatever it takes to keep that pretty damn good racing, or at least close to what they have. Um, all mine come from the safety of the cars, um, being the heat or what, you know, the, the tests that we've heard about, um, things like that in the mile and a half. So I've kind of heard some, some up and down things about, um, but as far as super speedway goes, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about that as far as the next gen, next gen car. Yeah, I think, I think I, I would probably say I'm, I'm more optimistic about everywhere. I know that the horsepower is not what I obviously want. I'd love to see a thousand horsepower. You know, whether that's from a pushrod V8 or a twin turbo V6, I don't care. I just want to see these guys go manhandle these cars again, something we hadn't seen since 2014, yeah. honestly. Um, but my biggest fear is something that Nathan brought up, and that's closing rates and not being able to pass. I hope that NASCAR, once they fix the temperature thing, because they got to get that first. That's my first priority, like Colton said, with safety. Because I don't want them to be like, well, we can't go out there and race 500 miles every week anymore because I'm tired of hearing that for fans. If the racing's good, they'll be able to watch it. Hands down. You can watch a 600-mile race every weekend if the racing's good. I need them to focus on being able to pass on these speedways and then also take it to the mile and a half as well. I want to see a half inch to an inch wicker bill on the roof like they did in 2001, and I want to see – a wicker bill on the spoiler like they have now, but it wouldn't be a gigantic big ass spoiler, maybe a three or four inch spoiler. Reduce a little bit of that downforce so they're waggling, as uh, DW says, through to the turns, um, but have a little bit of that dirty air come <clears throat> back so that you've got something that they can suck up on. That's my biggest fear is, is that they're not going to be able yeah. to pass, and that's what's so good about this current package. Yeah, and get away from restrictor plates the saturday racing has been better now than the sunday race oh for sure so and i don't why why can't nascar see that you know their lower series yeah, is so, putting on a better show than their upper series on these mile and a half and two mile tracks you know then you know well, okay well what are we doing wrong some of that got a blind eye to it so yeah well, we don't lift, and I think everyone in the industry knows that. Obviously, NASCAR doesn't give a shit what we think. That's right. They don't give a shit what the drivers mm-hmm. think. They don't give a shit what the crews think. They think they know best, and that's going to be the downfall cool. of them. And and I know that we've talked about that uh, week after week. But interestingly that you bring that up, you know, so one of the things from, from the Xfinity cars that I think we all can agree is phenomenal is the is the bodies. The composite bodies, we're going to that in the cup next year. But, Nathan, you brought up something uh, just going to be the last thing tonight, is that, yeah, the bodies are pretty durable. We won't have that much damage to worry about the cut tires and stuff like that. But 
everything under the car might be a little bit more flimsy. You mentioned the fusers, but what about wheel-to-wheel contact with an independent rear system? Well, I heard this from a couple people on Twitter, you know, engineers. Um, Ryan Keselowski is another one. They mentioned that the suspension and the tires are a little bit more fragile, so direct contact, you know, maybe it won't cut the tire down, but it might bend something in the suspension. You might break tire rods or whatever. And, and that's more like catastrophic. become a racing situation you know you don't want to have that happen so well also breaking well also like a rear wheel contact you know you got you've got this transaxle in the back it's gonna be like an indy car you touch tires you're gonna break a half shaft right and that's why i don't want that to happen yeah you're you're gonna break a you'll break a half shaft or you'll you know you'll and then you're gonna have you're gonna spin out because you don't have the direct the the positive traction drive off the corners and it's done. So, yeah, that's something you got to look at, and it will that will make it more fragile. I mean, I can remember the time I had a Cavalier, and I went over a bump too hard, and I broke both half shafts in a Cavalier. <laughs> so, you know, it's the same kind. Of, they're not that much more durable. I mean, they are durable. They're race proven, but I mean, it's. I think you're going to see that. Yeah, and and these aluminum yeah, wheel and these aluminum wheels are going to get beat up too contact yeah i mean that's something that you know they they maybe not have put enough forethought into for changing all that stuff i'm I'm looking forward to it i think we're all we're all uh i guess what's the word i'm trying to look for Um, uh, a little bit i would say maybe cautiously optimistic yeah yeah (laughs) an optimistic skeptic or, or something along the lines of that uh, so it's been a it's been a fantastic show, guys. I appreciate you two coming on. I know we wanted to do this for Talladega. I know it morphed in a little bit more than Talladega, um, and I appreciate that. You know, getting getting people from different age ranges. Um, not trying to call you old, but you've been doing this for a while uh, as a NASCAR wow. fan. Uh, you know, you guys have been around since the '80s or '70s, and you know we got Nathan, who's who's you know only 19. So, I mean. It's it's fun to, to to get a group of people kind of have like a little bit of a roundtable discussion about all this. So I really appreciate you guys coming on, of course. So uh, before we go, does anybody have any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, I guess on the topic of the next gen, you know how they, you guys mentioned the thought of one driver hitting that and just running away with the first handful of races. And you know if I'm if I'm I might look like an idiot for saying this next year, but I feel like Truex is going to be that guy because. Nobody ever thought of him like this a few years ago, but look at how well he adapts to new things when it comes to he'd never been on dirt. He wins the truck race on dirt. He'd never been on dirt in a cup car, finishes third in that. And it's like he's got very good throttle control. He also likes a sensitive steering box, and that's something that the next-gen car is supposedly going to have, according to the first few guys who tested it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one that hits on it. Another thing to add on to that, um, I know Cole Pern was was his crew chief, and now he's got James Small, who's no slouch, so don't get me wrong right. here. But, but um, he was the one, those two guys, and I'm sure James Small fits in with this for the next-gen car, took to stages before anyone else. And, oh, and that's yeah. why they won They're going to take to the, the new arrow and stuff like that before anybody else with the diffuser. Well, I mean, there's a few I mean, you think the big teams will do yeah. that. So, I mean, Kyle 
Kyle Busch won the first COT race, so they he takes the things. So it, it and he did it in a in a Hendrick car. It, it's just what it, a true driver, uh, a good driver. They're all going to take to it. So yeah, it's just who can mm-hmm. you know. And again, I. Oh, what was that? <laughs> but yeah. my headset. <laughs> but yeah. Right, so any- and, well, another thing, talking about Talladega, you know, Jimmy Spencer gets one one of his two wins there, and here's a funny thing: I I I wasn't a big Jimmy Spencer fan back in the '90s, and Chad can <laughs> Chad can quote this. Walking down the steps, I didn't come here to watch Jimmy Spencer watch that win this effing race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you gotta admit he he had a good I mean you can say what they can say what they say now, but he Junior Johnson built a good car. He won the yeah. race. So but yeah, you don't go there to it's like Jacob and Chad, you don't go there to watch you don't go there to watch uh Joey Logano win, you know, you know, and I didn't go there to watch anybody else. When you go there to watch your guy win, and you get pissed, you kind of leave a little. If you're not a little pissed when you leave, then you're not a fan of your of your guy, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, if no one has anything else, I guess I'll go ahead and send it off again. I want to thank you guys for coming on, uh, and thanks for sticking around. It's been another yeah. long one. We've been doing that. Uh, it seems a little bit uh, lately, but you know what. I think it's worth it. We've had a couple of different conversations today, uh, you know, with uh, with us about Vegas. We got Talladega this weekend. We talked to Johnny Eckert, champion of the All-American ARCA series that, that you guys are going to watch tomorrow night uh, uh, yeah. after getting the link from us on Twitter uh, at 830 uh, and root for us in the 85, the 46, and the 26 tomorrow night for Fan Fuel Motorsports. Um, and then, of course, our pretty – long lengthy conversation with with chad and danny uh what a wonderful night um hope you guys enjoyed it if you're listening on spotify and apple Podcasts, thank you again um and uh go follow us on twitter at uh fan fuel msm that's capital f capital f capital msm and be a part of our action at fanfuelmotorsports.com uh by emailing us uh your you know, thoughts about races, articles that you've wanted to write about different opinion pieces or, or theoretical stuff. Give us some conspiracy, conspiracy theories. We'll put our tinfoil hats on with you. Uh, you can do that at um, Banfield uh, Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, what you, we'll get you signed on into the, uh, the website and put you on there and feature you there. I know my dad's done a couple diecast stuff. You know, all of us uh, has putting some stuff up there. We had a, a really good one on the CO, uh, the Chase era coming through. And uh, other than that, we'll see you next week. Thanks again, guys. Uh, talk to you later.